Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa on the heels of a big one, folks. Oklahoma State 36, Baylor 25. Dustin, how are you? I'm doing great. It's always nice to come off of the weekend with a road Big 12 victory, especially against a team like Baylor. What about you? Oh, I feel, I feel the exact same way. I, I walked into the office yesterday with a little bit of pep in my step. That was after I had to get a new car battery. But uh, when I got to the office, I, I definitely had a little pep in my step. Yeah, it was – I mean, I don't know if the game went exactly how you and I thought it would in some areas, but – Score-wise, I mean, you had said, what, 31-24, and I had said 31-27. So it it was in kind of that ballpark of points. And I think, all in all, a lot of the things we thought needed to happen to win happened. There were some things we didn't expect, but it was a pretty exciting game and almost, I mean, I don't want to say complete domination on both sides of the ball, but a pretty dominant performance by Oklahoma State in the first half. I mean, I... I thought Oklahoma State controlled a game like that as good as you possibly could have expected them to. I mean, anything above that is one of the all-time great performances. Like, that's kind of the conversation you'd be having if they, you know, punch it in on another fourth down, if they turn Baylor over on that fourth and five and go score. Like, they were very close to having one of those vintage blowout wins over a really good team that I'm talking about, like, you know, 2015 TCU type of win or a 20, uh, uh, I'm sorry, when was that 2013 Baylor type of win? Um, they weren't that far off from that. So I stopped short of dominant, but I mean, controlled is the word I'm that's ping ponging in my brain. They controlled that game from what felt like start to finish and against a team like Baylor who wants to control you. Like that's that's extremely impressive, and they they used a lot of the formula we thought they might. Physical run game, get Spencer Sanders moving, Brennan Presley, and then lean on the defense to to make enough plays. And I mean, I I think they did just that. Yeah, I completely agree. And like you said, not maybe not dominant the entire game, but they looked great in the first half, and then they were able to finish strong there at the end. And I I think. You could tell, and I know Baylor goes for a lot of fourth downs, but it seemed like when they were panning over to Dave Aranda on the sideline, he could tell that this Oklahoma State team was very talented, and he looked worried on a couple he, of those fourth downs. Yeah, he did. He was very He's uneasy. normally pretty calm and collected, too. So it was a little interesting to see him kind of go from a worried look to even a smile after they converted one. It's like you don't normally No, he's shown a little bit more this season, but – it was pretty interesting to see that. All right, Dustin, before we get any further, though, I do want to take a break and say thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is the fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy. 
tailored to your unique goals and circumstances so you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash Price hyphen Buckley. Spelled B-U-C-K-L-E-Y. Dustin, I mean, again, I go back to the word control. I felt like Oklahoma State never really messed around that sometimes it feels like they do. Um, I I thought that they just wired a wire. We're the better team in Waco on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, if we can get right into it, did you want to start with the offense? Let's go right there. I think we should. Yeah. So they came out and Kate, we talked about this last week in the get in the regular season matchup last year that Oklahoma state won, they were heavy 11 personnel and they were utilizing the Logan Carters, the Braden Casties, those type of cowboy backs. Then due to injuries and some other kind of scheme things going on in the Big 12 championship, it's heavy either 10 personnel or Rashad Owens as the cowboy back, who's, you know, kind of more of that pass catching, receiving tight end cowboy back as opposed to the fullback tight end hybrid. Last podcast, I said, I think we need to go back. And I, I would expect them to go back to heavy 11 personnel. And that's what they came out and did. 74% of the total plays were in 11 personnel. And that's their highest percentage all season. CMU, it was 53%. ASU, 61 And I don't really count Pine Bluff, but 74% in the Baylor game. You could tell they wanted to come out and still spread Baylor out, but do it with a Jake Schultz, a Braden Casty, and even a Rashad Owens later in the game. And I really liked what they were doing. Baylor came out and played a bunch of cover two. You heard a lot of the coaches talk about that. Basically what that is, is the cornerbacks are playing the flats. There's two safeties. One's taking one half of the field deep. Others taking the other half. And then the linebackers are in those kind of hook curls zones in the middle of the field. And Oklahoma state was able to exploit that with their quick passing game to the slot receivers, which you called out last podcast. Those guys were going to have a good game, big game they were able to kind of widen their little curl hitch route in between the linebacker and the corner. And Baylor didn't have an answer for it in the first half. I want to say they got like 50 or 60 yards on those plays alone. And it felt cheap, didn't it? It was like, they were just taking what they wanted out of that play. And Cade, what they were kind of doing, you know, we talked a lot about the sim pressure and the creepers when Sam Bradshaw was on, we talked about it last week. They kind of exploited that a little bit because it was almost like Spencer Sanders knew, hey, this guy's really close to the line of scrimmage. Whether he comes at me or drops back into a zone, there's no way he's going to be able to get over to the flat. The corner's too far to the sideline because we're spreading them out with our spacing. So I'm just going to hit the slot right in between these guys until they stop it. And they made some adjustments in the second half, you know, putting their star player over the slot and more of a man coverage look. But really, it was pretty spectacular. And Casey Dunn said he wasn't sure what they were going to do, but once he saw that, they went to that passing game, RPOs, and then, Cade, what else did we see? This is something I really wanted to talk to you about. I know we 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 didn't get to text about this outside of the pod because I forgot to message you on it, but they went to the inside zone running game with Don yeah. Richardson. Yeah. We talked about how the, his strength is in the middle. Even with Baylor's defensive line, even with Siaki Ika, they ran it up the middle at Baylor. I think I had down that pulling it up really quick, but 50 of Dom's 77, 73 rushing yards came between the left tackle and the right guard. So in the middle, in the middle interior of that defensive unit, and they were doing some different things, you know, throwing some double teams at Ika. Preston Wilson did a good job on him. Sometimes, sometimes Ika would throw two or three guys to the side and make the play, but 
overall, I liked that scheme. And then Ollie Gordon gets in there. They do some stretch stuff with him. It was a pretty good mix up. They were doing no huddle. They were doing the check with me, look to the sideline. I really liked the entire game plan from Casey Dunn. And I, I think, I don't know if it was their true scheme going into the game, but they adjusted when they saw what Baylor was trying to do. And they, like I said, they really dominated that first half. Well, I, everything you said there is fantastic. I mean, the thing I kind of want to stop for a second on is Oklahoma State essentially staring at that Baylor defensive line and saying, we're going to run at you, so stop us. And I don't think Oklahoma State was able to do that last year, the year but I don't remember the last time they were able to look at a defensive line that dominant in Baylor. I mean, they're, they're what, a top 10 unit in college football I mean, and a t- I'm sorry, not a top 10 unit, a top 10 defensive line in college football. I mean, Siaki Ika and Jackson player. I mean, the, those two guys right there. And then you got Gabe Hall. I mean, they're fantastic. So the way I see it, Oklahoma State lined up across from them and said, we're going to run the football. And they did. And they ran it right down their throat, like off a gap. I did not see that coming either. Um, and we talked a little bit about it, but I think the perfect play that kind of encapsulates Oklahoma State's approach to this is one you threw out on the Twitter account earlier in the week, and that is the play where Oklahoma State goes, I think it's third and four, maybe it's second and four, and Oklahoma State goes right at Siaki Ika, and Dom meets him in the hole and delivers the blow and spins off for, you know, it was probably a two-yard uh you know, it was, I think their contact was right at the line of scrimmage, but he ends up getting seven off of that. And it was like, at that point, I thought, oh, well, Oklahoma State's going to run the football all day. And they did. I mean, they, they really, even in the second half, kind of pulled the reins back a little bit and went ball control with the running back, like with the running game. And it's not something I expected, but doesn't it give you confidence going forward that Oklahoma State can win games in multiple ways running the football? Yeah, and Kate, I think you laid that out perfectly. I, I, you're going to look at the stats, and you're going to see 3.6 yards per carry on 46 attempts, but 166 yards against Baylor. They've been, I think, holding teams to around 75 yards per game is what I saw so yeah. far this season. So even at that 3.6, and what did you and I talk about last podcast? We said, yeah, you know, bring it Mike, down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Mike Gundy mentioned the 4.5, which he corrected himself finally. In the in the press conference, he said he's actually better with 4.1, which I think it was 4.2 is what he said last year. So that range. But you and I said, hey, 3.7, 3.8, 3.9, that would be great. They get to 3.6. And when you look at just Sanders and Richardson, who accounted for about 83% of the carries, they're at 3.9, those two guys, Spencer Sanders and Dom. So to be able to do that on a team that hasn't allowed another team to get over 2.9 yards per carry in a single game this season – is incredibly impressive. I'm not saying it was an all-world performance by this OSU rushing attack, but like you just pointed out, it gives you confidence going forward that against some weaker defensive lines, they maybe have figured some things out, have found where they're able to exploit some things, run the guy's strengths, and have success rushing the football for an entirety of a game. Yeah, and against one of the best defensive lines in this conference. I don't know if they're going to see a better one all season other than the one they practice against every day. Um, So I think you have to feel good about that, especially, you know, Texas tech, as we get into them a little bit later, 
they've got a pretty good defensive line too. So it makes you feel better about what's coming for Oklahoma state. If they can sustain some of that success, I think we, I, we've been correct about this. Dom still doesn't have a whole lot of side to side, but man, he runs so hard. I mean, he, he's a hammer. Yeah. It's, it's almost painful to watch. I, I think he stunned Ika. He looked very confused after that play, the one you just talked about. Where he Wasn't it awesome? Through him. Yeah, it was great. And that's how they kind of, like, if we want to talk about the offensive line, I'm not saying, and Gundy even said it, it was a good, not great day, obviously better than the Big 12 championship game blocking for the run game. But there were times when Dom had to run through guys, when Ollie Gordon had to make a play on the outside, as you saw him on his, what, 11 yard run or whatever it was and Spencer Sanders doing things by himself, making guys miss. But I think the offensive lines run blocking, I, I'd probably give it a B. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a little high to some people, but I thought Woodard was really good. I thought Joe Maholsky was really good in his snaps. And we finally see him Cade. I think they might've been saving that a little bit for this game plays a majority of his snaps on the left side, as opposed to coming in for Woodard. He came in for Matirko more and you know who else I thought did a pretty good job? I, I thought Springfield was actually pretty decent in this game. And then when Brooks came in, I had him for another pancake. He dominated one of Baylor's edge guys on one play. The only person I think maybe struggled a little bit in both pass and run blocking, and we're talking run right now, is Materko. But I didn't think he was terrible in the run. And overall, the pass blocking, I thought Etienne probably and Materko were a little you know worse than everybody else, but I still didn't think they were bad. And then those guys I just mentioned, the Woodards, the Wilsons, the Springfields, they were really, really good in pass protection. And Baylor didn't send a lot of five-plus pressure, but they do that sim pressure. They do the creepers. It's hard to account for, and they didn't allow a single sack. And Spencer was able to sit back there on multiple occasions and throw from a pretty clean pocket. Well, that was that's where I was headed. No sacks. And it never felt like Spencer was in much trouble there was i think the third play of the game was the closest baylor got at least in my rewatch that was the closest they got to a sack and i i put Mateo a little Co. bit yeah i put <laughs> i also put a little bit of that on spencer i mean he, he held it i yeah. counted and kate i didn't mean to interrupt you i actually clocked it and i had 3.2 seconds and really that 2.9 3.0 range is kind of where you want to be and 3.3, that's a little too long, so you're 100% right on that. He also stood a little flat-footed in that moment, and he's done that a couple of times this year where he's – he's you, a lot of quarterbacks, like you almost see them kind of bouncing, like waiting to, to step in and throw. He's done this a couple of times where he's just kind of stood there and I think took a sack against Arizona State, and then this time almost got uh, either strip-sacked or – almost a very similar play to last year. So we're not going to nitpick Spencer, who I do want to talk about here in a minute was phenomenal, but, you know, kind of to wrap up the offensive line. I mean, I was expecting two sacks and I thought that I was going to feel pretty good about that. Like just because of how good those two guys are in the middle of Baylor's defensive line. I, I thought I would feel okay if Oklahoma state got out and we never really even talked about what's your sack number, but it was two for me. Like th they yeah. wouldn't have played great, but I thought they could have still won with two sacks. So to get out of there with zero and what felt like one QB hurry, I know, I don't know what the actual stat is, but it, it just didn't feel like Spencer was ever really in danger. And so, I mean, that's kind of the way I see it. I don't know if you're quite ready to get to Spencer, but I sure am. 
<laughs> well, I, I think on the, the my last kind of couple of takes on the offensive line is I loved the QB sneak touchdown, the play before mm. Ecad made a play and he's kind of waving, he's waving the them on offensive line to come at him. And then Spencer didn't actually go behind Wilson to sneak and score. He kind of went to the right a little bit, but Wilson knocked Ika two yards back into the end zone. And I just thought that was awesome because we heard, you know, Wilson kind of had a little bit of a nasty streak in practice. And he, I think he showed that he showed that he's not going to get, let some guy talk trash to him and not do anything about it. Even if the guy is a monster human being like Ika, but Kate, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you one question before we move off the offensive line. We've said these things about Materko. I, I don't think he played bad. I'd still give him a pretty good grade. I think overall, but you've seen what Brooks can do when he's in there. You've seen what Mahalski can do when he's in there. I do love that they're continuing to rotate these seven guys in. Gundy has talked about you keep these guys fresh. You know, you're going through a gauntlet with that bye week early. But do you think there is a way to get a Joe Mahalski or a or even a Jason Brooks moved over to a guard spot to where Materko is maybe one of your rotational guys? A- am I being too hard on him? Or well, I guess my question is, do you think Oklahoma State's like in need of that because I outside of that one play and I need to go back and watch Materko didn't stand out as you know the odd man out I I thought there were times where he wasn't great but all in all I think he has a really really difficult task and so I'll be curious to see what he does against Texas Tech see how that translates I'm not quite weaker. Yeah, not, I'm not like weaker physically. <laughs> we're we're talking world class nose guard yeah. in Baylor, and and then oh, just Jackson Player, who our friend of the pod Adam Lunt has been on for five years. It feels like um, as as a hidden gem, and he is. But I thought Materko was good, not great. But I'm not quite ready to yank him out of there. I will say the seven offensive lineman rotation is Mike Gundy innovating again. And and I don't think people are talking about it much because it's in the trenches, but and it's not sexy. It's not sexy like, you know, uh running the triple option or or you know, any other funky addition. But this is funky. Going with seven offensive linemen is unique. And I feel like it's innovative and I feel like it's working. And so, you know, whether it's pulling Materico and throwing Jason Brooks in there feels a little symbolic, you know, even because Materico's still going to play a ton and so is Jason Brooks. So, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm there yet. Yeah. I mean, Mahulski got almost 40, like about 40% of the total snaps. Wow. He's a backup. Wow. <laughs> That's, That's pretty, crazy. pretty awesome. I love it as well. I completely agree with you. I just wanted to throw that question out They're there. Great. That was something you and I, hit on a lot in the off season and kind of leading up to this game. So I love it. I, I hope they continue to do it. It's definitely big time if there's any injuries, but yeah, kid, I just wanted to ask you that before we move on to Spencer, but I'm well, ready for that. Well, I, I, now I'm ready to talk about the offensive line. I think we owe Jake Springfield some flowers. Like he's yeah, been, he, he was really great. Well. He was great. I thought he, and- was, I thought he was great in pass pro. And again, not a ton of, not a ton of extra pressure, not a ton of stunning and stuff like that looping around, but enough and he did well i i think so too and you know we kind of had that spot circled as a jason brooks at some point still may but man i i feel like i feel like springfield heard maybe us talking about it and he was fantastic so (laughs) here's to you jake springfield um 
Yeah, he did. Great. I mean, let's let's get to the man of the hour, Spencer Sanders. Um, I mean, twenty of twenty nine, hundred eighty one yards, a touchdown, one the one pick. Cornerback made a great play, and then Dustin, I got to give you your flowers. Seventy five yards rushing on twelve carries. Um, you <laughs> nailed it. You were spot on in the he needs seventy. So kudos to you. Well, I I think you know my thinking there was just to get this run game going, you've got to utilize Spencer Sanders. And also, I think his scrambling ability would would be big time against Baylor, especially when they're doing that kind of simulated pressure creepers, guys coming from all different spots, and Spencer's able to point it out and know he's going to have a lane in one area if the pocket starts to collapse. I thought he did a great job of that. We also saw some, you and I talked about, we might see some new stuff. We might see option again. We saw option. We saw... I was calling it outside zone lead. So basically it's similar to an outside zone stretch block play. The quarterback takes the snap and the running back runs with him and the offensive line to that side. And then Spencer will look for a cut lane like you would on an outside zone on, on the stretch play. And I thought it worked pretty well. They ran it a couple of times. We also saw some of the zone, the split zone read, the regular zone read didn't see any of the QB draw RPO, which has been like their, favorite play but his just overall ability to scramble and the thing is teams don't want to bring five plus guys at spencer because of his scrambling ability because if he gets out of that blitz then who's going to tackle him but baylor went with not that many five plus man pressures like i said and they still got burned by it it just shows you how dynamic of a runner is he puts moves on second and third level defenders that a running back would and he can also if he has to run through people he's been able to slide now he can get out of bounds he can qb sneak and get the touchdown so everything he did was so impressive and kid overall his game i know we're just talking about the run game right now but i thought this was one of his better games even though it doesn't look amazing passing wise on the stat sheet i mean i completely agree with you i thought he was decisive I thought he was assertive and I thought that he was electric. Um, I had an OU friend come up to me today and say he was wrong about Spencer. He's been dogging me for years about Spencer Sanders. <laughs> it was like, well, that was the player that we all thought he could be, but never really was consistently. We saw glimpses. I mean, I think passing wise, he was great. 20 of 29, 181. They weren't able to take the top off of the defense much outside of the one long pass play. They tried earlier in the game and almost hit on it. So they really only tried to stretch the field twice, and I could be missing one. But um, outside of that – You're right. I only have two 20-plus yard throws. Yeah, so outside of that, they were pretty much attempting to take what Baylor was giving them underneath and rely on Spencer Sanders' legs – and he was phenomenal. And and he was great on the design stuff, but what he was awesome on was knowing when to stick his foot in the ground. And when is a defensive back going to take a good angle on him? Because they never do. <laughs> his, his moves when he gets out there on the perimeter and out there to the second and third level, they're very subtle. Like they don't look amazing on a highlight reel, but I think it just gets guys on skates. I mean, he... 99% of the time it feels like he's leaving laundry on the on the f- field and he doesn't get a lot of credit for that but I saw a few times where he really just kind of gives one shoulder fake and you're lucky to get a glove on him but 
you know, outside of that, Dustin, there was the the second and 15 play, I think it was, where it looked like the pocket was collapsing, and he sticks his foot in the ground and goes straight up the middle and gets a great block from our boy Jake Schultz to spring him free for that first down. I think that was second and 14. It could have been third down. But that play really, to me, was like the quintessential Spencer Sanders play, making something out of nothing. And then he took care of the football. I mean, the one pick was, you know, the corner making a good play. Mike Gundy talked about it uh, in the post game that the corner made a good play. And that's what it looked like to me um, at the time. Not a great spot on the field, not a great spot in the game to make that mistake. But what have we talked about all season? It didn't compound. He, They literally come right back and bomb to Braden Johnson for what I thought was a touchdown live. And then they punch it in. So all in all, I thought Spencer was fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. And Kata, so he had almost 70% completion percentage. There's nine incompletions there. I just wanted to kind of go through those like we did a lot last year. So you've got the Materko hit as he threw, which we talked about where he may have held on for the ball a little too long, but he was hit as he threw that one. You've got a nice play by a cornerback on a deep ball to Braden Johnson, which you know, Braden kind of had a weird jump on that. I think he maybe could have made a little bit of a better play. It was a good ball, great play by the defensive back. Sabon Johnson comes in for Braden Johnson, one play. Low throw, I'm not going to count it as a drop, but he probably could have caught that one. Then you've got the Presley drop. You've got the JP drop. You've got another good play by the defensive back. You've got the pick, a throw away, and then the Bryson drop late in the game on third down. So that's three, maybe four drops, a throw away, and then he got hit as he threw. That's five of his passes. Three of them should have been completed. That that would have got him to like 23 or 29 for probably like 210 or something like that with one touchdown, one interception, 75 yards on the ground and a touchdown. That stat line is incredible. If it, you know, if you don't get those three drops, then he's up near like 71, 72% completion. Just absolutely. That I mean, just from those drop. If those drops aren't drops, it could have been just an insane completion percentage from him. A guy who sometimes has had lower completion percentages in games when he gets a little rattled. Yeah, no doubt about it. I again, I I thought he was decisive. I thought he was assertive, and I didn't think he ever looked rattled. Um, so you know, outside of those, you know, that one early play and then the interception. I don't really have much of an issue at all with what Spencer Sanders did. And any mistake he makes, the the value he brings being able to create a play out of nothing with his legs kind of supersedes it. Like, if he picks up a third and 14 with his legs and then turns the ball over on the next possession, it's almost like, well, he just saved you a possession and then he gave them one back. So you're really even because he's just creating – he's creating opportunities – that otherwise aren't there. And so, um, no, I think everybody's finally come around to where you and I were this time last year, but it's taken some time. But I, I think people are loving Spencer Sanders right now for the right reason. Yeah, and and there was a lot. Casey Dunn talked about it after the game. There were a lot of RPOs in this game, and that puts a lot on Spencer Sanders to make that read. And quite a few of them were that pre-snap where they've got – it's a two-by-two two set, two receivers on each side – run an inside zone offensive lines blocking for inside zone and Spencer can either throw one of the bubble screens. They're running it on both sides 
or hand it off on inside zone. And he's reading the numbers and reading the alignments of the defensive backs. Hey, if there's five guys in the box, I'm probably going to run it. But if there's six guys in the box, but the defensive backs are way off the ball, let's go ahead and throw the screen. If there's six guys in the box and they're in press, maybe you still run it. And he's making those decisions. And I thought he made pretty much the right decision almost every time. Now, some of those, the coaches may tell him, hey, go ahead and hand it off here. But in general, I thought he did a great job. I counted at least like 10 RPOs out of the offensive plays. I'm sure there were more that I missed or some that I maybe counted incorrectly, but I thought it was a lot more than they usually run. And that's just something else that Spencer shows he can do. He's he's shown he can drop straight back, hit play action, throw the deep ball, cut up the zone, run it, and now, you know, make these decisions on RPOs. So, and like you said, that they were playing cover two all day and then they switch it up to where the corner goes with the deep route and the linebacker makes a great play on the ball. Spencer maybe threw it a little behind Presley. Presley might have rounded his rounded out his route a little bit. So just kind of perfect storm of bad things. And it wasn't a great throw by any means. But outside of that, I had no other turnover worthy plays. And I, I thought he played a really clean game. Like you said, taking care of the football aside from that one throw. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, well, Dustin, you we talked a lot about the wide receivers there. I thought all in all, we, we talked about this. Somebody was going to have to step up and and essentially step up for the Jaden Bray who hasn't been there all season, but he was a factor in these previous matchups with Baylor last year, really had two of his, the best games of his season against Baylor because what you have to do against them is throw it deep even when it's not there to try to back that defense off a little bit. You have to at least try it. And Oklahoma State only tried it twice, and both times were a go-route to Braden Johnson. I think if Jaden Bray's out there, you're probably looking at at least five shots downfield. But point being, somebody was going to have to step up, and let's start. Bryson Green had a really nice game. And, I mean, highlighted, obviously, by the early touchdown catch, but it's the first possession of the game. And I think that set a little bit of the tone for Oklahoma State. Like, we're still going to throw it up on you. Like, you you may get aggressive in your coverage. We're still going to throw it. We're still going to run what we want to and when we want to. And I thought Bryson Green made a phenomenal play um, and then ultimately made another phenomenal catch down on the other side of the field late in the game where John Paul's just got to throw that in the field of play, and it's a walk-in touchdown uh, for Bryson Green. But outside of that, I kind of wanted to start with him because he was the guy that we kind of talked about as, you know, somebody's going to have to step up with no Jaden Bray, and I thought he did. Yeah, and he's super physical. We've talked about how he struggles sometimes to get separation, especially in man coverage. But in this game, you know, throwing him that fade ball, letting him go up and get it, show off his strength. He's a great blocker. I went back and looked at what I – wrote about him and his brother when I broke down their high school film for pistols firing. (laughs) And I said, both of them were some of the best high school blocking receivers I had ever seen for Blaine worked out. Now he's at cowboy back. And for Bryson, you can see on these screens on perimeter runs, he is giving effort every single time when he's blocking. And like you said, if he can't, you know, he'll continue to learn to get separation and man coverage and work on his route running. But right now, just use him to his strengths. Throw him that fade ball and let him moss a dude for six. That, that's what I, that's what I like to see. And, kid, what I think is going to be big time, you mentioned his name already. When Jaden Bray comes back, he is 
you know, also kind of like a high point guy, maybe not as physical as Bryson, but I think there's ways you can use both of them to their strengths in either a jump ball situation or throwing it into kind of where Bryson is kind of boxing out the defensive back and making a catch on a curl. And it gives Spencer even more options. So I love it. I think something interesting that I wanted to bring up outside of him is only four guys outside of Dom at the so only four receivers got targets for I think not counting Pine Bluff I think it happened in the Arizona State game as well it's kind of interesting without Bray out there they're not really rotating other guys in you had the you know one stat from Stephon Johnson but Rashad Owens is from what I've heard is completely switched to Cowboy back at this time so you're really only rolling out there with Presley JP Bryson and Braden Johnson is that kind of, did you see that playing out at this point? It's not what I expected going into the year, but when you start factoring in like, okay, Jaden Bray had a kind of surprise injury and then Rashad Owens moves to Cowboy back. I mean, it's, it's easy to see. And I've been clamoring for Rashad Owens at Cowboy back since we heard Blaine green had gone down. I think it makes sense as to how you got here. Um, and it's funny, like Oklahoma State was a wealth of riches, you know, uh, week zero. And then they become maybe not the wealth of riches, but they are they are as good on the top level as any wide receiver group in the conference, I would say. So they're not as deep as I would have thought they'd be, but they are as good as you could hope for, I guess, is the way I would say it. Yeah, I agree. And again, another another kind of impact was the uh, that 11 personnel had is John Paul Richardson gets his least amount of snaps. I, I'm again, I'm throwing out Arkansas Pine Bluff, but out of central Michigan, Arizona state in this Baylor game, John Paul with 33 snaps, that's his fewest. He had 47 at central Michigan and 53 against Arizona state. Casey Dunn mentioned that before in one of his post game pressers. It's, the one great thing about 10 personnel is you get all four of those guys on the field at the same time or Bray whenever he's back. But if you're going 11, somebody's got to come off the field. And in this case, they felt better with Brendan Presley out there. They thought they could exploit some things with him. So John Paul doesn't get as many snaps as normal. I don't love it. It worked in this situation. So obviously completely fine with it there. But it, it's tough when John Paul has to come off and you could tell he looked maybe a little out of rhythm at times and it might have been because he's getting a little bit fewer snaps and he's not getting kind of those early looks as they went 11 personnel heavy for a majority of the first half. Well, so this is the reason that in the offseason I picked Brennan Presley to lead the team in receiving totals, essentially talking receptions and yards. We got that question often and Brennan Presley was my answer. I don't know if that's still going to be the case. I think they want to run their offense kind of through Braden Johnson. They really want to spread it out, but Braden Johnson is your Tylen Wallace, you know, type of receiver. But Brennan Presley is always there and he's so sure-handed. And I don't know, this play had kind of been a, a, a hyped one. It was third and seven in the first quarter. I think it was Oklahoma State's second possession. And Spencer was looking off jp in the flat and at the very last second whips around and hasn't i don't even know if he saw where brennan was i think he just knew where he was going to be and delivered an absolute dime and brennan almost hit him in the back oh brennan makes an unbelievable catch (laughs) and i 
it was perfect. It was like, I don't even know how either of them knew where they were going to be other than repetition in practice because yeah. it was just a phenomenal play. But it's why I picked Brennan to lead the team in those totals. I think he's going to get the lion's share of targets, especially when Jaden Bray gets back and teams have to start focusing on him because I think they will. I think Brennan's going to eat up targets the way he did against Baylor. And I think a lot of teams are going to try to play kind of that similar three, three, you know, four, two, four at times where that underneath is going to be available to him. So I, I, I feel better about that prediction, you know, four weeks in maybe than I did even in week one, but I, I thought he was fantastic. Um, and then, you know, outside of him, it was, it was really, I mean, Bryson green only had two catches for 40 yards, but it should have been two catches for two touchdowns. So, uh, yeah, it seems like they're willing to scheme him open whenever they need to. So, yeah, I mean, Brennan and John Paul had 16 of Spencer's 29 targets. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, and then lastly, just to wrap up the receivers, Brayden Johnson, you know, they're in that, they're in that too high look. Most of the game Baylor is on defense, but we're, when they go to cover three in Oklahoma State's in 10 personnel, you saw what Braden Johnson can do. He beats that guy down the field. Spencer underthrows it a little bit. He goes up and makes the catch. He burned that dude. If you oh, yeah. are going to play him one-on-one -on, -one on the outside with no safety committed to that side, you are going to get beat deep by Braden Johnson. And I, like you said, I don't think teams are going to want to do that because of his speed. 100%. Um you know, other than the, you know, kind of underthrown ball, I don't know how you can play him any differently. It's almost like you always have to shade that safety over the top because we've seen his route running ability and his straight line speed is, is one of the best I think we've had at that spot in Stillwater. So um, yeah, I think him and Spencer clearly have a deep connection they, they kind of know where each other are on the field at all times. Um, you know, outside, I don't really have a ton to add other than they've got that connection. Braden has a lot of speed. If he can, you know, and he's he's kind of cut out the drops the last couple of weeks. So I think, I think with Jaden Bray coming back, he's going to get more opportunities, don't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I think it's going to be... I don't think you're going to be able to shade guys over there. Not that That's teams the aren't thing. doing that. Not not that teams don't respect Bryson Green. I just think there's going to be added respect to Jaden Bray. So we'll see how that goes. I, I mean, uh, that I that was... combo. Sorry, Dustin. I didn't mean to cut you off. But Jaden Bray and and Braden Johnson on the edges with Brennan and John Paul on the inside. That is lethal. And then I think you keep rotating Bryson Green in there. I think he continues to get snaps. And then your rotation expands a little bit from the four we're kind of talking about right now. And I think that's just a good thing, especially to get Bray back in the mix so he's ready for this gauntlet, no bye week, big 12 stretch. But I, I thought the receivers had a solid game. It was funny that it ended up really from the get-go being the slot receivers and mainly Brennan Presley. And that's kind of what we thought was going to happen with the way Baylor plays their defense. You know, it's funny. we We've talked about this on multiple podcasts, but... Some teams have an identity, and Gundy mentioned it in his pod or in his uh, press conference that Aranda likes to play defense a specific way, and he does a lot of cool things, a lot of cool disguises and stuff like that. But he wants to impose his will on you with his defense, and we'll talk about Texas Tech and Tim DeRuiter later. But they do a bunch of different things. Aranda 
thinks he can beat you with what he does. And he, he wasn't able to in this one, but you know, it's, it's funny. Some teams, you know, will change their scheme. Some teams will keep it the same. And Aranda's a guy who knows what he likes to do and he does it well. And this, in this game, Oklahoma state was just able to exploit it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Dustin, anything on the Cowboy backs before we flip it to the defensive side of the ball? Just one thing. We talked about uh, JP snaps going down. Jake Schultz, 13 snaps against Central Michigan, 31 against Arizona State, and 44 against Baylor. He was the starting Cowboy back as well. But I liked what Dunn did. He rotated in Cassidy. He rotated in Owens. Kept Baylor on their toes. Schultz is a little bit more, I think, athletic on the outside to get to some of those blocks where he's split out in the two by two. You saw him split out a lot in the two by two set. So he's kind of lined up as a slot receiver, blocking on those screens, blocking on the perimeter. Casty's a little bit better, more maybe inside of the H back fullback spot. And then Owens, there's no film on him yet. So you don't know what he's going to do from that spot. And he actually had a really good block on a run play in this game. So kind of making me shut up a little bit talking about <laughs> the receivers blocking skills at that Cowboy back spot. But other Cowboy backs were awesome. And I thought Casey Dunn is using them really well. You'd still like to see them get thrown the ball every now and then to keep defenses on their toes. But I thought just the way he's switching them in, lining them up in different spots, using them in the split zone, on the perimeter runs, in the screen game as blockers was really cool. And I think it kind of kept Baylor on their toes. Yeah, no doubt. Jake Schultz is good, man. He's big, he's physical, and he's really athletic. Like, I I like having him split out there. I'm curious to see if they do anything unique that we haven't seen quite yet. And then I love the note you made about Rashad Owens having no film on him. Hang on to him until Bedlam or shoot. You may not need to up until then, maybe hang on to him until, you know, Manhattan, see if you can get there with no film on him and then break him out in the red zone. Kind of like a Blaine green versus TCU last year. Just kind of pull that out Out of the sun. Surprise the team with it. Maybe it can win you a game. Yeah, no, no doubt. And Dustin, let's let's take a break. Let's flip to the defensive side of the football. I mean, I I thought this was a big challenge for Oklahoma State. We talked a lot about Baylor's wide zone, you know, running scheme, potentially giving Oklahoma State's linebackers some issues. Let's just kind of start globally, and then we'll like I think flip it into the defensive line. I didn't feel like Baylor had a whole lot of success. Most of the day, I think they hit uh, talking wide zone, that base running play. I didn't feel like it was nearly the threat that I thought it was going into that game. I thought Oklahoma State's linebackers, Mason Cobb, and especially Xavier Benson played a really nice game. Yeah, and I agree with you. Baylor didn't get a – they were fairly efficient on the ground, especially when you take out the the two sacks, 15 yards – they're up around that, you know, four yards of carry average-ish. Their running backs all were around like the five yards of carry mark. So they were pretty efficient, but they didn't get a ton of yards. 112. It wasn't, you know, anything insane. They held the they Oklahoma State was able to kind of stop them at opportune times. And I thought what Derek Mason did, he showed several things of this game he hadn't shown. 
you asked that on the last podcast. Are there some things that offensively and defensively this Oklahoma State team is going to show that they haven't shown yet this season? We saw a few things on offense. That was mainly more due to Baylor's scheme, though, I think, defensively. But on defense, Oklahoma State came out and they did some things that Baylor wasn't expecting to the point where Aranda literally mentioned it like one of the first things he said on his post-game press conference he said that Oklahoma State he said I think that I think what Oklahoma State was doing versus our wing set so when they had multiple tight ends out there they were playing basically with two defensive ends and so that was somewhat of a particularly new set they'd been playing just versus <laughs> us and what they did and I put a picture of it out on the Twitter. It was almost like a bear front, which a bear front is where you have a nose guard lined up over the center, zero tech, and then you'll have your two tackles or one tackle and one defensive end lined up in three techs outside shade of the guard. It wasn't really a three tech that the two outside guys were in, but it looked like a bear front because then you have the two defensive ends, the two Leos on the edge outside the tackles. And what this does is it kind of, is able to help you against the wide zone play you were just talking about. It clogs up the line. Yep. The offensive linemen aren't able to easily release off the double teams up to the linebackers because there's more de defensive linemen in their face. And it allows our linebackers who, Cade, we've talked about this, had some trouble reading and reacting to plays, more so on the Xavier Benson front. It gives them a little bit more time. It's almost like a little bit of a cheat code for these linebackers. And when you're going to go heavy on offense, this is a way you can combat it on defense. And it didn't work every single time they ran it. Baylor's offensive line is really good. They still were able to block some plays. But you saw it specifically on the safety. I think Aranda and Grimes decided on the toss here, thinking Oklahoma State was going to come out in their base set, and they could run it to the field side, the wide side, because the Leo wasn't going to be on there. He's normally to the boundary. Well, you've got a Leo on both sides now. Brock Martin crashes down and allows Kendall Daniels and Cobb to just smash Reese in the end zone for the safety. Just incredible. I, it just kind of shows you, I know there's been some questions about Mason's adjustments, Mason's scheme ability. This was good stuff. I mean, Dustin, that's a beautiful breakdown. It, it makes sense in my head now as you lay that out, how Oklahoma State allowed Mason Cobb and Xavier Benson to maybe run a little bit freer, maybe not be so responsible in perfect gap fundamentals, even though I thought they were really good. Um, it gives them a little bit of ability to, to play a little bit more free, and I think that that really helps Xavier Benson who we've seen a little bit of hesitation at times and what gap to hit, how to hit it and, and how hard. So I love the way you broke that down. It's great coaching. I mean, I'm curious to know what else they've got uh, in their bag of tricks because that's not something I expected to see. And it makes perfect sense because if not, I, I think, I think the coaches must've seen exactly what you and I laid out you're putting a lot of stress on that second level of your defense that just isn't all that experienced if you don't go to that kind of bear-type front. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and Kate, the thing, I, I know we're mainly talking rush defense right now, so Baylor came into the game averaging against good teams 207 rushing yards per game. And I know I, I know they ran it pretty pretty efficiently against Oklahoma State, but only 112 yards. I mean, you got to look at the yards 
here, not so much the efficiency, the way they were able to get stops at key times. The thing is, Baylor is really good. I still think Baylor's a really good team, even with this loss, even with the BYU loss. And Oklahoma State gave up 457 yards, but I think the way they were able to play defense throughout the entirety of the game was a more complete game than than that, than that 457 shows. Absolutely. I mean, actually, even without looking at it, if you would have said they had 457 yards, I would have said, you're crazy. I mean, that came on two kind of fluky chunk plays. I mean, they had the 70-yard touchdown pass on fourth and five, and then I think, what was that, 55 yards on the other one? So right there, that's over 125 yards. So, yeah, if you would have told me they had 457 yards, I would have said, no, they didn't, because it wasn't an efficient force 457, it didn't feel like. And actually, I did the same exercise with their rushing totals. 30 carries at 112 yards. That's not taking off the sacks like you and I always do. But Richard Reese's longest run was at 24. And if you take that one off, they were not very efficient on, on the in the running game. 3.1 yards a carry. So to me, it's what are you doing on the whole? And did you have explosive plays that make that in number maybe not tell the full story? I think that's exactly what you have here. I thought Oklahoma State's defense kind of controlled this game most of the time. And Kate, that's a great segue into what I was <laughs> a stat that I had up. On the other hand, the passing game up until that 70 yard pass that you talked about. So that happened. What, what, like two minutes left in the third quarter. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that drive started with like three minutes, 30 seconds up until that point. Shapin was 18 of 27 for 182 yards and one TD. That's three fourths of the way through the game. That's yeah. not a very, <laughs> that's not an amazing stat line. That's the same stat line that Spencer yeah, had Spencer's, passing and Spencer yeah. added on 75 yards rushing to it. So, you know, I, I think Shapin showed his, his ability to be super accurate. Yes. He'll stand in and throw even after getting hit, except for the, when he took a knee, basically when Brock Martin was about to rip <laughs> his head off, but he showed you he's super accurate. I'm not saying Shapin's not a great quarterback, but I think that was a pretty mediocre game from him up until that point. And then Cade, on the last drive when Oklahoma state is in a straight prevent defense, because they know they're up by two scores, they're letting every, I mean, everybody's dropping to 15, 20 yards deep. So Shapin's hitting five throws underneath for 57 yards. So 57 of his 345 came on that last drive when Oklahoma State was literally saying, throw it underneath because we're not going to let you get into the end zone. And that gets him back into the 200 range. Basically, I'm trying to say that I didn't think Shapin had this phenomenal game when you really break it down, especially with the two picks. One of them, Jason Taylor, in we go into the two, Oklahoma State goes into the two high shell, and Jason Taylor completely baits him into. Oh my throw, gosh! Which was absolutely hilarious. The first one, you know, that kind of went out of uh, was it Holmes' hands right into Thomas Harper's, but that second pick was completely on shape, and and he threw one back across his body into the middle I of the know. defense. It was very accurate, but that one could have got picked as well. I just think we're starting to see shape and take a little bit more risks. And I think he's going to, I think his kind of, you know, ball security where people are praising him for that. I think by the end of the season, that maybe changes a little bit because he has made some really risky throws in some of the games I've watched. That, that throw across. He's super accurate. 
that throw across his body made me so mad. It was like Oklahoma State had that perfectly defended. And then you've got Patrick Mahomes light out here trying to make a throw like that. And it works the one time. Um, but you know what? I actually – Shapin's middle of the field accuracy is very good. I oh, mean, very he's, good. He's, he's pretty impressive. And he's got more zip on the ball than I think I even remembered from that Big 12 title game. But again, you have to factor in where the explosive plays came from and when – and if you just take those off, it wasn't a great day from him. And even still, I think Monterey Baldwin might be the fastest person alive because he, I mean, <laughs> that was quite the play just to completely burn the Oklahoma State defense. And then Jason Taylor, you know, for all the plays he's made in his career, that's one he's probably going to want back because he was in the right spot. And if he just waits, that's his, that's his ball. It's not the receiver's ball. He did a ball. sick 360 to his credit. Yeah, he but didn't. He didn't, didn't look bad doing it, but it was like, <laughs> man, if you just wait a second, that's your pick. So anyway, yeah, I agree. And Caden, he's got that. Uh, Shapin's got that baseball arm. He was like the number one baseball recruit out of Louisiana coming out of high school. Or something arm like angles, that. Dustin. It's all about the <laughs> arm angles. No, he's just got an ugly throwing motion. Okay, Kate. So let's lazy. I should say it's lazy. Lazy. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Agree. The D line. These guys were incredible. Oh. Again, Again. I I think, and you talked about it. You got to limit the big plays. We'll talk about that when we get to Texas Tech. Baylor had 14 plays go for 15 plus yards. That's too many. But I thought overall the way the defensive line was able to pressure, they got the two sacks. When they went with that kind of bare front, the Leos I thought played really good, funneling the ball kind of back inside to the linebackers. Ford, he is a look looks back to 100 percent. he definitely does not have that kind of mental crutch anymore saw it kind of go away through the non-con slowly and now i think he's ready to go oliver looked amazing as well and then brock martin using this kind of inside move on the tackles where he would fake out and come in with kind of more of a speed than power haven't seen that a lot from brock kind of going uh I mean, if you get him going straight line, he's pretty fast. He's just not like super side-to-side agile, but I thought Martin played one of his better games than I've seen recently. He's just an amazing player. And then Sionius C. Yes, I knew it. Amazing. (laughs) And Samuela played awesome too. He just only had like 17 snaps. Evers Evers was decent. I mean, he didn't really pop as much, but a C making his presence felt. He said, I'll show you Siaki Ika. I am yeah. Siaki. <laughs> yeah. Throwing dudes all over Baylor's line. I think he had two tackles for loss. He completely blew up a screen. And outside of just the stats, he looked awesome on a majority of his snaps. Oh, that's exactly. I, I want to pause. I want to say something here. He w- It was like the sled drill. It was like he was using Baylor center as his own personal sled. Like, you, you know, how who's a good player. It's always going backwards. And Sioni was always pushing him backwards. And he almost blew up two plays simply by pushing the Baylor center backwards. I think they both resulted in incompletions. But, like, it literally was to the point where it was like, if he just pushes him one more step, Shapin's going down. So Sioni was phenomenal. And I I meant to text you about it during the game. I was too happy. Uh, But... (laughs) He was phenomenal and stood out in live and on the rewatch as one of the top players on this line. And now you start factoring in, you're like, okay, Oklahoma State 
is loaded at defensive tackle. Like, in addition to the edge rushers, Brennan Evers, Tyler Lacey at times, and Sionia C are, I mean, they were as good, maybe better than Ika and player on, on Saturday. Yeah, Lacey played amazing. I think you see how good of a player he is when he had to go off the field to get his uh oh yeah extinguished. Which Walter Shad comes yeah. in. And Walter Shad is a a really good player, but you can see the drop off from Tyler Lacey. And you can even see the offense notice like, hey, Lacey is out of the game. We should come, we should go at this area because yep. Walter Shad got blown off a couple blown off the ball a couple times. And he no shot at him. I think he's a good player. I've hyped him up on this pod before. It's just a pretty big drop off from Lacey to him. And the feet extinguishing thing, I'm hoping there's not any kind of nerve damage or yeah, anything that was wrong weird. with Tyler Lacey's feet and he's able to play this weekend. I haven't heard anything, but it sounded like his he thought his feet were on fire and he had to get carted off and they basically had to retape, put some wet cold towels on there. And Mike Gundy said if you guys have to put a fire extinguisher on him on his feet, do whatever you can to get his ass back on the field. <laughs> what's, his, what's his quote? I mean, it's so true, though. I mean, when Tyler Lacey goes out, the whole world notices. I mean, our group chat blew up. It was like, this is this is not a good situation. And the symptoms are a little concerning. I, I hope that that's nothing significant. But anytime you start talking about, like, nerve pain, like it's a little weird. So hope everything's okay there, but no, Lacey was phenomenal. Um, I, I thought the interior defensive line was, you know, the star of the show. I mean, Colin Oliver with the sack trace Ford still kind of looking like a madman, even without a sack, everybody was good, but the interior of the defensive line really kind of stole the show for me. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm ready to move on to second level guys. If you're well, ready. this is, yeah, well, let's do it. I mean, this, this is, exciting because I thought, you know, everybody wants to talk about Mason Cobb right now and rightfully so, but I thought Xavier Benson really showed up and there's a clip going around on Twitter. I think Adam Lunt actually put it out there of Xavier Benson throwing dudes in, in that fourth down play that, that Mason Cobb ultimately makes the tackle on. But Xavier Benson is throwing dudes around, and he did that for most of the game. He still tends to get washed up when a team goes to that zone run and the interior linemen kind of wall off. He tends to get washed in that. It's hard not to, but teams are picking on that a little bit. Everybody has ran that against him. So that's something to watch for. But in this game, I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, and Kate, I think it's a positive sign what you just pointed out that he's able to kind of read and react quicker, blow somebody up, get by the blocker and make the tackle. But he's got to do that with his quick reaction and speed because you can see he's not the biggest, like thickest linebacker. He's strong, but he's got to be able to get there first and knock the guy off their feet by surprising them or just completely get around the block with his speed. You saw exactly. Exactly what you said. He gets washed up still. You could point to several poor plays from him. You can point to several really good plays, but I think the positives are starting to outweigh the negatives. Absolutely. I think that's a really good thing. I think Cobb continues to show that he has no hesitation at all. I do think, Cade, when you go back and rewatch and like try to rewatch it slowly, and 
it's a little hard because without the all 22, you're really focusing a lot sometimes on the linebackers when they're dropping into coverage because you can't always see the safeties in the corners. But I still think they're having some issues with their zone drops. Oh, definitely. Both Cobb and Benson. And, you know, I don't always know exactly where they're supposed to be, but based on what I know about, you know, cover three, cover two quarters, it looks like sometimes they're a little bit confused or they're just a couple yards out of that throwing lane for where the pass is going. We saw Baylor hit on a couple of throws underneath where it looked like the linebackers maybe were either in the wrong spot or should have been in a different spot based on what they saw kind of nitpicking. Cause I thought they played, I thought they played a really good game compared to, you know, what we've seen. I think they still continue to improve. One interesting thing when Benson came out for a play, Donovan Stevens backed him up. Oh, wow. I didn't Not notice Nick that. Martin who's second on the depth chart. So Donovan Stevens came in to back. That may have just been like, Hey, I'm grabbing you closest linebacker to me and throwing you in there. I think that was kind of interesting, but I thought overall the linebackers played really well. Cobb is so much fun to watch. Oh, he is. I think what you're saying about Oklahoma state's linebackers getting maybe a little bit out of position in the zone drops is absolutely true. I it's, it happened on the second play of the game. I don't know if that one stood out to you. Oklahoma state blows up a screen play. It's loss of four. And then they run a Baylor runs a little like, Outside hitch, inside in, and the both of the linebackers kind of migrate to the outside receiver. And it's like that, no, that's not it. And it leaves essentially the entire middle of the field open. And and Monterey Baldwin gets 25 on it. And so it's those little things that are still there and it's in the middle of the field. It's like they don't really know where to rotate and when. But out, you know, all in all, they're going the right direction. And Mason Cobb, who you just brought up, is he has superstar potential. I mean, he looks like a little Malcolm Rodriguez running around out there. He's been in the program for long enough to where we had heard a little bit enough to get excited about him. But I don't know if anybody expected this. I mean, I I tweeted out a play last night. I mean, his play recognition and tenacity, he just goes. It's like if he sees it, He's going towards it. You don't want to get burnt on that, but he hasn't yet. And so, I mean, his play recognition, he's a heavy hitter, and he talks a lot of stuff, and I love all of that. And he just plays with some swagger. So I, I love everything he's brought to the table so far. Yeah, he's he's so fun to watch. And I think it's because he's such a good tackler. He's so aggressive. Like you said, he gets hyped after the plays. He's always congratulating his teammates. It's just oh, kind yeah. of everything he does is fun to watch. And he had an- another play to call out for what you said at the beginning of your statement is the drop Baylor had when they were in the red zone. It looked like Oklahoma State was dropping oh, yeah. into like a quarter's coverage. They dropped eight and I think only rushed three. That was big. There was nobody in the middle of the field. And that was that zone coverage and the middle of the field was completely open. I don't think that was completely on the linebackers, though. I think maybe it was Brock Martin who dropped and I think he was supposed to get the flat. Benson looked over, saw nobody was on the flat because Martin had released up with the receiver. So he was kind of caught in no man's land, but they got to get that stuff cleaned up, but I didn't see as much of it this game as we had. So I I think it's good stuff all around. And then if you're ready to move on to defensive backs, can I just one, one thing on that, that particular play, Tyler Lacey is blowing 
Baylor center back in towards Shapin. And Shapin has to change his arm angle. It still should have been caught, but ultimately it's a little bit off center. Receiver has to make a play. That's what a good defensive line gets you. It's like when the, when other areas of your defense aren't perfect, <laughs> the defensive line being perfect outweighs a lot of, of errors that the back end can make. And it's something to watch for this coming Saturday because I, I expect some pressure brought to uh, Donovan Smith in Stillwater this weekend. But we can keep going, Dustin, before we get all the way to that. Well, I mean, coverage is a good segue to the defensive backfield because, Cade, we we talked about man, and they they still played zone. We've been talking about zone as well, but they came out and played a lot of cover one, and yeah. I think they were – it wasn't always both cornerbacks pressing. It was some more press to the boundary, but both guys pressed at times. We saw Xavier Benson line up over the slot receiver multiple times whenever the slot was to the boundary. And what they would do is they would have Jason Taylor over the top to kind of help out if that slot was to go deep. He's And he's also the deep safety in cover one anyway, kind of covering that deep part of the field. But he was shaded over to Benson's side. I think that was interesting kind of along with the, the bear front we talked about is it just kind of threw a wrinkle at Baylor that they hadn't seen. We did see on that fourth and five play, it ended up them getting burned. Gundy said that was on him. He told Mason to check out of what they were in. And you can kind of see on that play when you watch the replay, Benson's over the slot and JT is not kind of shaded all the way over to his side, which probably led to him being open across the middle of the field. Also, Baylor had seen them do that already earlier in the game. But I thought the cornerback play, you know, Jabbar Muhammad let a couple routes break in front of his face, but when he's lined up that far off the line of scrimmage, I don't know how much you can really blame him. He gets there and makes the tackle. It's just a seven, eight yard gain. And then Corey Black, you see him sometimes, he just gets kind of, Gundy calls it, he kind of floats a little bit. He'll get a little bit, not lazy, just kind of looking around and maybe give up a throw if the quarterback looks back to his side. But I thought overall, both these guys played really good games. And if they can play, similar games like they've been playing this season or like this one, I think the cornerbacks are going to be just fine. That floating comment is interesting because I, I noticed the same thing with Kendall Daniels a couple of times on Saturday, like almost like they're watching the play in front of them and thinking about what's going like, I've got this area, right? And anything in this area that comes to me is mine. So they're slow to react when it does come to them. I Because of what I've seen, I'm going to chalk that up to youth and inexperience. I mean, Corey Black and Jabbar Muhammad have been around, but once you see another guy in coverage do the same thing, it's like, okay, well, they're, they're not getting behind him. He's keeping everything in front of him. He just may be a little timid to go make that play at this point in his career. So I think you're exactly right. Um, it's just interesting because I've seen that a couple of times. I saw it a few times specifically in this game where it was kind of like they were just watching the play in front of them and then go make the play when it's like, no, right when you have that thought, go make the play. Yeah, I agree. And kid, I think the only other note I had on the corners and like we mentioned with the all 22, you don't get to see the corners on every play. So it's always hard to kind of do a full analysis on them. But from what I saw that they played really well, DeMarco Jones, 16 snaps. He came in for both Jabbar and Corey. So I, I don't know if that was to just solely get them a breather or if maybe that's to get DeMarco some run 
like that would be nice. in the past they did with Corey and Jabbar whenever Christian and Jark were here to just kind of get some experience, get the run in there in case there's any, any injuries or just for in general this long Big 12 slate of games. Well, you know, that didn't even register, which is I've said this a few times on this podcast. It's a good thing when you don't notice the corners, right? So nice. Very good job, DeMarco Jones. Didn't see out there. So very good. Um, <laughs> Played well, didn't see you. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, moving right on to the safeties, though, we've talked a lot about Jason Taylor. I mean, what do you think of that unit as a whole? I thought Flanagan was pretty good. I thought Daniels was electric and youthful. It's like you get everything with him. Uh, it's just yeah. a good group right now. Yeah, and I know I know people want Daniels out there, and I know they're not trying to knock Shawn Michael Flanagan. You just want to see Daniels out there, but – Man, he's been solid all season. He's, he's always <laughs> where he's supposed to be. He's a really good player. He doesn't have, I don't think he, obviously he's been here for like, what, like five, six years. He he doesn't obviously have the ceiling like Kendall Daniels or maybe the explosive all-around athletic ability. But like you said, he's a smart player. He knows where to be. I liked early in the game. I talked about Benson over the slot to the boundary. And then if the slot was to the field, depending on who it was, it seemed like Oklahoma State and Derek Mason were using different safeties over that slot. You, normally, it's always Thomas Harper. Saw the tight end Ben Sims, who we talked about being a problem uh, for Oklahoma State. He's a really good receiver. Saw JT over him a lot of yeah. the time when he was split out. Saw Sean Michael Flanagan over the slot. JT down by the line of scrimmage and Thomas Harper as the free safety a couple of times. They were doing some pretty interesting stuff uh, along with showing too high and then kind of rolling one of the safeties near the line of scrimmage or near the slot at the snap and going back to single high and maybe making into like a cover three buzz or sky zone coverage. So it was pretty interesting. I liked what I saw. I, I, we needed a big game from Jason Taylor and I thought he gave us that in the passing game besides the one play we mentioned. And then he also came down and made several plays in the run game. So I thought all these guys played really, really well. It's just, it's hard to, it's hard to keep giving the safeties compliments because I think they played really well pretty much all season. Well, they they forced both of Baylor's turnovers. So if you're asking me what I give them compared to everybody else, it's an A+. I mean, Harper <laughs> made a phenomenal play, like just right place, right time, and nice recognition. And then Jason Taylor is the savvy one on the field over a Blake Shapin where he says, yeah, just throw, throw it there and it's mine. And he did. It's exactly what happened. So um, I thought that unit was great. I mean, I, I think you legitimately with Harper, um, Flanagan, Daniels, and Taylor, you're loaded again at safety. And I know they lost, you know, Tanner McAllister last year, um, but and and Colby Harvard people, but they're I feel like they're just as good. They may give up a little bit more um in run fits, but outside of that, the drop off hasn't been nearly as steep as I might have expected. And, and like you said, you're rotating Shawn Michael Flanagan and Kendall Daniels at one spot. So you've got two guys there who are getting a lot of reps and experience. You're not even seeing guys like Trey Rucker, Lyric Rawls, Ray Gay, but we know, we know from what we've seen in their limited snaps that these guys can play and that they're all fighting for the kind of too deep spot. So I, I feel really comfortable with the safeties moving forward and as I did coming into the season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Dustin, any final thoughts on the defense before we wrap up Baylor? I mean, huge win, right? Yeah, big-time win. I thought it was impressive. I thought it turned into kind of a gross game at the end, but early on, Oklahoma State dominated. I thought if Baylor was able to, and we talked about this, if Baylor kept it close 
the entire game, that might not bode well from Oklahoma State just because they have such a good offensive and defensive line, and there were question marks about Oklahoma State's offensive line. But I thought Oklahoma State pretty much dominated the first half, and even though things faltered a little bit in that wild and wacky third quarter, I mean, we don't, I guess we need to talk about special teams for a second, but oh, I, I think even, even with things kind of faltering there in the third quarter, because they had that lead from the first half and were able to kind of impose their will, they were, they were able to hold it out for the win. Well, and I mean, since you said it, Oklahoma State controlled that game, and there was a certain podcast that I'm sure we'll talk about later that kind of knocked Oklahoma State's ability to sustain the way they won against Baylor all season. No, I don't expect Oklahoma State to return kickoffs for touchdowns every game, but they're doing it a lot, and their special teams are darn good, and they're capitalizing, and their special teams led to nine points on on Saturday, essentially, with the safety and the kickoff return for a touchdown. Um, but it is sustainable. They are one of the best units in the country, Oklahoma State's special teams is when you stack them up against other special teams units, they're one of the best in the country. And it helped Oklahoma State win this game. I think it'll help them win others. Kansas State won games with special teams for 25 years with Bill Snyder. And right now, I mean, Oklahoma State, that is a that is an X factor that we probably do need to talk about, but we we may have exhausted our time for the day. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's not just the return game. Like you mentioned, it's Tom Hutton's punting. His kind of target punting has been amazing this season, being able to kick it down there. And then guys like Braylon Presley, when you're using them on punt cover to get down there and grab the ball before it goes in the end zone, Matt Hembro gets down there a lot. He's the snapper, which is pretty amazing. I love when he downs the punts. And then on kickoff, the fact that you – such a good kicker in Tanner Brown. You want him to do kickoffs, but Gundy said he's getting a little fatigued. And you have Alex Hale and even Logan Ward, who both of them did kickoffs in this game. And I, Logan Ward almost kicked out of the stadium. And then Hale has a little bit more of kind of the placement in his kicking. You just have your, like a wealth of riches at special teams. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing to watch. And when you add in the stuff that they were able to do as far as blocks go, I know it was against Arkansas Pine Bluff, but that's in teams' minds when they're scheming against Oklahoma State that they have the capability to block kicks and punts. So it's going to be pretty awesome if special teams continues to make plays. And I don't know how you can say that's not sustainable. They've been good all season. So I think think you'll see special teams win them another game or two. Yeah, I I completely agree, Dustin, and I think it was finally time we spoke about it because, man, they were an X factor. But let's let's move on. Huge win in Waco, but you got another challenge coming to Stillwater on Saturday in Texas Tech, who's three and two on the season. Um, but I I do think they bring a different type of challenge into Stillwater. Before we get to that preview, let's take a break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. 
I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of home field stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 we'll get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast is okay dustin welcome back i'm ready to get into this it's easy as you look across the Big 12 and what has happened so far, Texas losing a game, Oklahoma losing two and looking like the worst team in the conference, it's easy to get your head ahead of yourself. But Oklahoma State can't do that this week as I think they've got a decent challenge, decent, in the Texas Tech Red Raiders coming to town on in Stillwater at 2.30 on Saturday. I mean, Dustin, I'm going to flip it to you. Just a couple of things that you've noticed out of them uh, scheme-wise on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, so head coach is Joey McGuire. He was at Baylor for a while. And then I'm sure as you've seen, if you've read any media articles this week, he coached high school for a long time. <laughs> so he's a <laughs> he's a very good recruiter. I actually really like him a lot. He seems like a he seems like an interesting to his press conferences. And um he I, he seems to really connect with the players and everything, but on offense, their offensive coordinator, kid, I like to think of myself as a young, hip, cool guy at 33 years old. <laughs> this guy's younger and hipper than me, Zach Kidley. He's only 31 years old. He's 31. I wouldn't say he's hipper. He might be younger, <laughs> but he's not hipper. That's for sure. He he went to Tech, was at Houston Baptist for a few years, and then was part of that Western Kentucky offense with Billy uh, Zappi at quarterback that just kind of threw it all over the place, had a ton of yards. So he's only been there for this year. He's back at his alma mater. There's a lot of things I like. To, I would kind of think of it almost like in, like your old school Texas Tech air raid, but really they want to run the ball. Tech just hasn't been able to run the ball due to kind of offensive line, some issues at running back, just different things. I don't think their personnel can do it, but what they like to do, they'll go tempo. They like to go super fast. They love getting up to the line of scrimmage after our first down and running a play quickly, which we've seen Oklahoma State do that. You'll see a lot of 10 and 11 personnel. They'll do some 12 stuff. You'll see some things that look kind of similar to the Lincoln Riley OU offenses at times with some of the heavier sets and then quickly going to like a 11 personnel look, but keeping the tight end out there, which Oklahoma State does as well. They'll do a lot of the double stacked. So where the receivers are kind of in, uh, like in kind of a line on the outside. So two guys out there stacked on top of each other, lets them get free releases. It's hard for you to kind of play tough, close man press coverage on that. But Oklahoma state doesn't really do that a lot. And it'll, it kind of helps you with some of the RPO stuff. When they do that, they'll set formation into the boundary, which means they'll set their strength into the boundary. So they'll have either their tight end and the majority of their wide receivers over there. Or if it's a two tight end set, they'll both be over there. If it's a 10 personnel, they'll have maybe three receivers into the boundary. It just gives them some different kind of angles and things to work with. And it's hard for the defense who normally setting their strength to the field to counteract. Sometimes it gets them off their toes, but it, it's very popular now in college football. So it's nothing Oklahoma state hasn't seen. 
ton of wide receiver screens. They do a bunch of weird stuff too, where they'll like pump fake a wide receiver screen and then throw a screen to the tight end in the middle of the field. Or I even saw, I even saw them pump fake two wide receiver screen to each side and then throw the ball down the middle. <laughs> so it's some interesting stuff. And then run game wise, you and I talked about it off the podcast a lot of counter, a lot of gap scheme stuff. They'll do power, GT counter. They like the GH counter where they'll have the tight end lined up as the H back. He and the guard, the backside guard will pull and lead for the running back to the hole. Do a lot of stuff like that. And then motion wise, they like this kind of late motion where they'll send a wide receiver in motion shortly before they snap it. And they'll either throw that guy the ball or they'll just use it to kind of get the defense off guard and they'll run the ball the other way. So that's kind of what they like to do. It's actually really fun to watch with the personnel that they have. I feel like they haven't been able to find a true identity on offense besides throw it 60 times a game. So I don't really love it for this Texas tech team, but I do like Kitley and I hope he succeeds because I think what he's doing is fun to watch. Dustin, it's a great breakdown. The thing that stands out to me about Texas tech is they are running a very physical scheme, a scheme that requires a lot of physicality in the run game, but they are not overly physical yet. I think they want to be. I think Joey McGuire wants to get them there. I think he can. I don't know if he can get this team there. Um, and I think the the reason I point that out is because when you think of GT counter, who do you think of, Dustin? For me, it's those vintage Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma football teams that were running it with, with some NFL offensive linemen with NFL offensive linemen and NFL running backs, literally at the same time, college schemes. I haven't seen as much success on GT counter. And especially when you kind of get down to the level of Texas tech, I think they're going to have issues against Oklahoma state's front front six. You know, let's call it that it's so weird now, but let's call it a front six. I think that front six can contain it on its own because of how sound fundamentally they are. Now, this scheme to me puts a little more emphasis on linebacker play than the way they may have approached Baylor. I still think they do it, though. I still think Mason Cobb and Xavier Benson can run well enough, and maybe they go back to that bare front and just clog things up and see what happens because I don't know if Tech's offensive line has enough to hang with Oklahoma State's defensive line. And then when you look at their skill talent, Sir Roderick Thompson's still there. Miles Price still there. But I just, they haven't been explosive in a long time, and they're still just not. Like, they yeah. they should be, and they're not. And, and Katie, kind of what you said about the physicality and being able to get pushed in the run game, it kind of has come down to their offensive line and really in protecting quarterback Donovan Smith as well. They faced, you know, Kansas State's defensive line. Houston's got some good players on their defensive line. So it's not like they've faced terrible defensive lines, but their left tackle, Caleb Rogers, has struggled. I was able to watch most of Tech's games. I think the only one I wasn't able to watch some, at least some of, was the Murray State game, which wouldn't have mattered anyway. They won like 63 to 10. But Caleb Rogers, their left tackle, He's a little slow. He doesn't seem super strong out there. And I know this is a guy that Tech was really high on, maybe future NFL guy, they thought. And he's just not looked great to the point where 
they are taking a guy in Ty Buchanan who has normally played on the right side and only has 16 snaps, I believe, at left tackle this season. And I think he's competing with Rodgers at practice this week to maybe take that starting spot from him. Along with him, Weston Wright at left guard, gotten banged up. He hasn't been great. Dennis Wilborn at center has been okay. Landon Peterson at right guard, okay. That Actually, the kind of gem to me out of this offensive line, which hasn't been very good, is former Oklahoma State offensive lineman Monroe Mills. He's actually. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. yeah. So, but um, kid, something I haven't heard, I didn't see in the injury report. You know, I want to get to one major injury here in a second, but at the Kansas state game, at the end of the game, Sir Roderick Thompson went out of the game. Oh, with wow. injury. I didn't see him come back in. And I actually did that game on a rewatch and took some notes to be able to kind of break this down. And I noted that I didn't see him come back in. Maybe I missed it, but They've kind of split carries between him and Taj Brooks. So Roderick's more of the kind of power guy. They're both bigger dudes, but thicker dudes. Brooks is more of kind of the agile, make you miss out in space. And they've 44 attempts for Sir Roderick and 49 for Taj. They're about the same amount of yards, both a little bit over 200 on the season. So if they're without Sir Roderick, they're without Cameron Valdez as well. They don't have many snaps at the running back position besides Taj Brooks. So that could be major. And the big time injury I wanted to get to, Miles Price banged up his ankle yeah. in that K State game, and he's a game time decision according to to uh, Joey McGuire. Well, and he's kind of there without Eric Azucama anymore. He's kind of their go to. By the way, did he hit a growth spurt or something? Because I had him way smaller at one point in his career than he is now, um, which is possible. He just looks bigger than, and he's an old friend alert. He was committed he to bigger Oakland. shoulder pads. Yeah. Oh, that's, you know what? That'll get you every time. Um, but he's old friend alert. Uh, he was committed to Oklahoma state there at one point and took a visit. to. He's Tech a good player. Yeah. He's a good player. Either way. If the, if one or both of those guys are not out there, things are going to get really tough for Donovan Smith. I mean, you look back at what happened last year. Granted, Oklahoma State had NFL guys all over the field, but Tech had 108 total yards. <laughs> it was it was the most dominating performance that season for Oklahoma State's defense and probably of the last 25 years. And the scheme hadn't changed much. The personnel hasn't changed much. Oklahoma State is breaking in some new secondary guys, some new linebackers, but I think proved themselves enough last week to where, to, like, I feel good pretty good about what Oklahoma State's defense is going to be able to throw at Texas Tech. And again, I go back to a similar feeling. Like, even if your back half of your defense isn't great at all times, your front four can cause a lot of havoc, and Texas Tech gives up a lot of sacks. They rank near the bottom in FBS in sacks allowed. That is a bad recipe against this Oklahoma State team who – you know, got enough pressure alone uh, against a Baylor who has one of the best offensive lines in the country. So this could, this could be a long day for, for Texas tech. Yeah. And outside of price, Taj Brooks is second on the team in receptions. Uh, unlike Oklahoma state, Texas tech rotates in a lot of wide receivers, but I think it's caused Donovan Smith to not really have great chemistry with a lot of these guys. I think he's still figuring out, you see him make really errant throws. There was an interception in the NC state game. I've watched it like 10 times. And I still have no idea what happened. He throws it nowhere near anybody right to a defensive back. 
it had to have been miscommunication somewhere. You've seen him, you know, there's times when I'm like, wow, he's making terrible throws, but is that some on the receivers? You know, they've got their guys like Jaron Branley and Trey Cleveland. They'll like to throw it deep to those guys. Fungi has been getting some runs. Xavier White looked good against K-State. Nehemiah Martinez will back up Miles Price. If he's not in there, he's a good player. But none of them really pop at tight end. They've got Mason Tharp, who's like seven feet tall in Baylor Cup. They've just been super inconsistent. Some games they won't even get a target. In other games, they'll get three or four. So it's it's really interesting what they're doing in the passing game. They're literally throwing it like 60 times a game because they haven't been able to get the rushing attack going. Even though Sir Roderick and Taj are both good players, I think what they're going to come out and try to do to Oklahoma State, and Cade, let me know if you feel differently, I think they're going to try to run the football yeah, it feels and like use it. the quick passing game because I don't think they have really any other options. They could take deep shots, but the problem is I don't know how much they'll be able to slow down Oklahoma State's defense. And if they get our offense and if they get into a shootout, I don't think that's good for them because I think Oklahoma State is set up to play for a shootout this season. I absolutely agree with you. I look at that Texas game for Texas Tech as a really good encapsulation of who they are at their best, I think. they, But that they were, you know, two awful Texas turnovers. And, I mean, if you look at the stat line, Donovan Smith threw it 56 times and didn't, didn't turn it over. Texas Tech really took care of the football. I felt like that was an anomaly at the time. And then they go to Manhattan and you start to see some of the cracks in that Donovan Smith had 56 throwing attempts and 15 rushing attempts in that game. They're going to get him killed. If, if that's yeah. the, the type of usage he's going to have. And the problem with that is Tyler Shuck is still injured. Their guy who they thought was going to be the starting quarterback. Right. He may not be back until after the bye week behind him. They've got Baron Morton. Who's, They've actually put in the game, I believe it was against NC State, when they still kind of had a shot. They weren't completely out of it, and they went ahead and put Morton in the game. He's the highest Texas Tech quarterback recruit of all time, but he's a redshirt freshman. I, I know I saw Kitley say that they've been getting him a lot of reps in practice. Maybe we see him in this game if Smith starts to struggle, and I'm sure they'll get a cheap touchdown if they do that because there's like 12 plays of film on him. I don't know how much he played in the Murray State game, but from that other game. But if you look at this Tech team just in general, they beat Houston by three. Houston has not looked great. Their no. two wins are against UTSA and Rice, and both of them were close, and Rice is not good. North Carolina State was up 20-0 to zero at halftime, and then they fumbled the ball out of the end zone on an easy walk-in touchdown, which would have got them to 27 right there. They ended up beating them 27-14, to 14, but it they slowed the game down the second half. Then against... Kansas State, they go down 13 to zero early, and it should have been like 35 to zero. K State stopped them on a fourth down in their own yeah. territory. I think they got a they got a turnover or something like that. But it was these games should have been bigger blowouts. And credit to Tech for not letting them get to bigger blowouts. I just speaking of you know Oklahoma State getting called a fraud, I think Tech at this record of three and two may be a little fraudulent. I think they <laughs> maybe should have lost that Houston game and the Texas game was a toss-up as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, to me it seems like Texas Tech is a year or two away. I just don't know if they have enough on the offensive line to really compete in this game. And then I don't know if they have enough skill talent. I mean, oh th this is 
this is a bad matchup for Texas Tech. It's it's almost like trying to square peg round hold. You we you and I talked about this off air. It's almost like their weaknesses play into our strengths and then vice versa. Um, I I don't know how they find offensively sustained success against us. You know, I think I think what we see is Oklahoma like I, I said what I think Texas Tech's gonna do. I think Oklahoma State brings a lot of pressure at Donovan Smith. You you said it earlier. This is a team that's given up a lot of sacks. Oklahoma State, you know, they've got some guys like Ford. He hasn't gotten one yet this year. He wants his sack. So the, they've got some guys that want want to get sacks. I think they're going to come after Smith. They saw what happened last year. They were able to rattle him. He gets really, really shaky when he gets pressured early, which, I mean, is common for quarterbacks. I think they're going to try to stop the run and make Tech one-dimensional and have Donovan Smith try to beat them and trust the defensive backs to do what they can in coverage, which I think you'll still see some big plays given up. I just don't think... I think that's what Oklahoma State, they want to make Tech one-dimensional. They want to make them throw it 60 times a game because they've seen them, like you said, lose games and crack and not be able to kind of go up and down the field like that without Donovan Smith getting into a little bit of trouble. Yeah, 100%. Dustin, let's flip it to the defensive side of the ball. You good on offense? I think you are. Yeah. Let's talk defensive side of the football. I don't know what they do scheme-wise. <laughs> I feel like... A lot. Yeah, it, it is kind of a mixed bag with them. I mean, why don't you kind of walk us through that a little bit? Because I had a similar reaction watching them. Yeah, Tim DeRuder, he's a long-time defensive coordinator. He's been at A&M. He's, been at, he's faced Oklahoma State at A&M because he was there in 2010, 2011. Al, Oregon, now Texas Tech. He's been all over the place. He's 60 years old, almost 60 years old. Kind of bases out of like a three four three three five hybrid, but they do a ton of disguises. They'll move guys all around. You'll see some of the two four five that we've talked about with Oklahoma State. Well, they'll have two down linemen, two stand up edge. They'll have the three down. They'll go one down. They'll bring mug linebackers up near the line of scrimmage, drop them off like Baylor does, and that kind of simulated pressure. They've played a lot of man against Texas uh, in the Texas game. They played a lot of cover one, but historically he's been cover three, cover six, some quarter stuff. They'll mainly have their joker or their outside linebacker lined up on the bounce. So their base set is three down. It's kind of the bear front that we talked about with Oklahoma State. It's three down, and then they'll have their joker, their outside linebacker to the boundary, and then uh, they'll have Wilson, who I'm sure we'll talk about a lot, lined up to the field. And that's kind of how they base out of. They'll do a lot of single high. They'll do some two high. They'll move their safeties around. And he's big on blitzing. I think their blitz rate is like 50% or something this year. He'll bring guys from all over the place. And I maybe they're the team that finally tries to blitz Spencer Sanders because we haven't really seen that this year. Teams don't want to do it because they know what he can do when if he can get by it and get outside the pocket or if he can recognize it pre-snap. But maybe Texas Tech is the team that tries to, you know, zig while everybody else is zagging and do something different there. And they they normally these defenses normally generate a lot of turnovers. Yeah, well, I mean, phenomenal breakdown there, Dustin. I mean, if they do that, it'll be really interesting to see how Spencer Sanders reacts. It's been a while since a team has brought consistent pressure at him and then arrived. 
the thing about it is if you're even if you're going to bring pressure, it's got to get there. Oklahoma State's passing pass protection has been really, really good this year. I would caution Texas Tech against doing that, like for their own <laughs> for their own good. Uh, because if they're not getting there with much regularity, I mean, hello, Brennan Presley, hello, Braden Johnson, Jaden Bray type game. I mean, that's that's a it, it can work, but it's also, you know, kind of a dig your own grave type of game plan if it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think that's teams have had that similar thought that you just laid out when going up against Sanders. As far as their defensive line goes, Cade, the, the names on here and what they can do at times is big time. You know, Jalen Hutchins, he's kind of yep. like their leader on the defensive line at nose. Tony Bradford Jr., we talked about him last year at defensive tackle. Their edge is Tyree Wilson. And, you know, they'll line up uh, Josiah Pierre at that joker outside linebacker spot. So those guys are all up near the line of scrimmage. The problem is, even though Tyree Wilson is a monster of a man and he's made a ton of plays, the other guys, they're good players, but they're not the Baylor defensive line, which no, no one is. But what I'm trying to say is they're not the strongest physically defensive line. And I think what Oklahoma State is going to try to do in this game is run the football. They want to have a big game running the football. They want to get up to that 4.2, maybe even that 4.5 inflated Gundy number. And they saw what Kansas State did last week with Deuce. And with Adrian Martinez, both of them rushed for like 170 yards or something each. Kansas State did it with QB power, which we don't see Oklahoma State run that very often. I think maybe just a few times I've seen Sanders do that. But I think they're going to try to establish the run and run it down Texas Tech's throats. Well, and I hope they do. It's it's a great call out, too, because it's exactly what they tried to do against Baylor. So why would they not do it against this group? I mean, why would they not try to do it? against every group now the how may look a little bit different but ultimately they're going to want to run the football and you're going to have to be able to do it against these guys um this i mean the three you three names you just listed off there some of the best in the conference i mean jalen hutchings and and tyree wilson they're saying tyree wilson's a first round draft pick so pretty freak yeah pretty impressive uh list of players they have on that defensive front but Again, I think Oklahoma State, as you said, is going to try to run the football and they may try to run it right at them. And they'll be, you know, they'll be chipping with the Cowboy back or with Dom or even leaving them into Max Protect to help out on Wilson's side. And I don't think Oklahoma State's going to be afraid to show that. They're going to say, beat me with somebody else because our offensive line is pass protected well. We've gone up against teams like Baylor and we've pass protected well. Now, if Texas Tech starts to bring a lot of pressure, you see the quick stuff to the receivers. That's how you combat that, like you talked about. But yeah, overall, yeah, and you know they and their linebacker crew, Merriweather, is a really good player. He's been there for a little bit. Krishan Merriweather, he'll he'll wear number one. He's their middle, their Mike, their middle linebacker. But you know they've lost some people there. Bryce Ramirez is out for the season. Had a really gruesome injury. His like bone popped out of his leg. But um, they just. There's not a ton of guys in the linebacker core in the defensive backfield. They get Adrian Fry back this week. He's been out with injury. He'll play cornerback some. Pearson's looked okay, but like Rashad Williams is not good. Been great. Taylor Dimerson at free safety. He's made a few plays. I, I'm just not. I'm not really that impressed with their defensive backfield. I think they're all talented guys. They just haven't consistently been making plays. I think Oklahoma State can exploit them in multiple different ways, and. I, 
I'm not even sure exactly how they'll attack in the passing game. But if Texas Tech tries to man them up like they did Texas, Spencer Sanders is going to be throwing that deep ball to Braden Johnson, and he's going to have 200 yards receiving if they do that. Yeah, it, it again, it feels like the, the ingredients are there for it to be a long day. The things that complicate this, penalties, turnovers, sacks, things that shoot yourself in the foot and and don't allow Oklahoma State to sustain drives. I mean, I, I'm ready to kind of predict this game, Dustin. I know you told me yours, but I, I'm going to go Oklahoma State wins this game 38-17. I think this feels – this has the makings of another Baylor-type game. I don't think Oklahoma State re- returns another kickoff for a touchdown. But I think the plays where you know Oklahoma State doesn't go for it on a fourth down at the goal line – on the road. I think Oklahoma state does go for those types of plays here in this game. I think Oklahoma state does score more. And I think ultimately they're writing also what's probably going to be a pretty juiced up crowd at two 30 on a 73 degree day in Stillwater as they come back from that Baylor game. This just has all the ingredients of a long day for Texas tech. And I don't even think it feels that close at the time. Um, I think this is, I think this is a pretty comfortable win for Oklahoma state. Yeah, I agree. And I have the, uh, over under at, at nine, and, nine a half. and a half and Oklahoma yeah. state favored by nine and a half. Yeah. So I'm actually going to go a little bit higher for Oklahoma state. I think, like I said, I think they try to run the football, which may leads to normally leads to a lower scoring game, but I think they're able to, I'm not sure how Texas tech's going to defend, but if they do do some of that single high man coverage, I think Oklahoma State's able to hit some big plays downfield and get some touchdowns that way while running the football effectively. I think you see Sanders up again near 60, 65 rushing yards. And I think Oklahoma State takes this one 41-27, but I think one of those touchdowns from Texas Tech comes late, and it's more of like a 41-20 game leading into kind of the final minutes. They maybe yeah. get a garbage time. So again, a 20-point victory-ish that lead and then a garbage time touchdown. So pretty dominant performance again from Oklahoma state. I just think tech's able to hit some big plays because Oklahoma state hasn't really shown that they've, they're able to completely shut out the big play. And until I see that not a knock on this, I mean, I guess it is a knock on this defense. I'm not saying they're a bad defense, just saying they're not, they haven't shown me that they can take away the big play. So I think teams are going to continue to hit on a few here or there. And I think that's my question is if tech is the team that's capable of doing that at a high enough clip, you know, Um, especially if you factor in, you know, key injuries at skill positions, totally agree with you on that. I think Oklahoma state, uh, the, the ingredients are there for that too. So it's a great prediction, Dustin. Thanks for breaking all of that down. This is a reminder. There's no pick available right now, but you can actually go to prize picks. You can download it from the app store. And if you use our promo code feels 12, you'll actually get a hundred percent match on your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. And I see some of y'all playing out there with that feels 12 promo code. We see <laughs> oh, <yeah>. you. <laughs> hey, I mean, seriously, it's a fun way to play. Um, especially if you live in Oklahoma, um, you're just kind of taking the over under on specific players. There's nothing available right now for Oklahoma state or Texas tech, but Dustin just laid it out there for you. 60, 60 rushing yards. You know, our number for Spencer Sanders. So if you see that, you know what to do. Um, again, that promo code is feels 12 for a hundred percent match up to a hundred dollars on your first deposit. Dustin, are you ready? Let's do it. Are you ready for some questions? 
I know we got I a bunch am. of audio this week. And because we got so many audio and because we don't want our families to disown us, we may have to run pretty quickly through the yeah. Twitter questions this yeah. week. So remember, if you send the audio, we're always going to hit those and we're always going to hit them first. And we're going to spend time on them. Not a not a shot at the Twitter questions. We love them. I'm just saying we, we sometimes run out. Well, yeah, and if you want us to start answering those, start playing prize picks because this this doesn't pay the bills, <laughs> and we have wives that rely on us. So we, we do we, love the questions, though. So keep sending them. We do, but you're exactly right. We're we're approaching a policy change discussion. You got to send in an audio question, folks. I mean, we're we're to the point in the season. We're getting so many. If you're sending in Twitter questions, just move that on over to into Anchor, and you're for sure going to get it answered. So, um, I mean, if we get 20 more questions every week on Twitter, like who knows how long we can sustain that. But for and now, we're not complaining. We love it. We're just saying <laughs> if we miss some, that's why. We absolutely are not complaining. There's no doubt about that. But I want to take a quick pause before we get into Q&A and remind you that this segment is now brought to you by WT Appraisals. WT Appraisal is the premier commercial agriculture appraisal firm throughout the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas area, and the Great Plains region of America. Specializing in appraisals of farms, ranches, commercial and retail facilities, and industrial real estate, WT Appraisal has over 30 years of experience in agriculture real estate and over 10 offices throughout the region. OSU grad Andrew Cox has been appraising properties throughout Oklahoma for over a decade and would love to give you help with your appraisal needs. So give Andrew a call at 806-418-2629 or visit wtappraisal.com for more information. Andrew, thank you for your support of the Feels Like 45 podcast. We do appreciate it. Dustin, let's hop right into this. Let's go here. Here's one from Drew Hayes two days ago. So this may be a post-gamer. Let's see how this goes. Gentlemen, hey, it's Drew Hayes here. I'm from Austin, Texas. My buddy Blake and I made the trek to Waco yesterday. We saw that awesome Cowboys victory in person. So, man, it was a lot of fun. A couple quick questions or thoughts from you. What did you think of Sanders under center with the QB sneaks? I can only think about the Michael Scott gift where he slams his hand on the table and yells, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Touch on that a bit if you haven't already. And then two, overall thoughts on how Kendall Daniels played. He seemed like one of the faster, quicker players on the field. Is it that far-fetched to think that he might be one of the best players on this defense someday? Uh, and if so, you know, by what year? Freshman year, at the end of the year, probably not. Sophomore, junior year, where's that over-under line at? Anyways, keep up the good work, fellas. Enjoy listening to this pod. Thank you. Drew, thanks for sending in the question. Um, the you're, you're exactly right. The under-center with the butt push from DeAndre Jackson and Dominic Richardson is literally what I got on here and asked for after that big 12 championship game last year. So I loved it. And no, I don't think it's far fetched at all for, for you to expect Kendall Daniels to be one of the best players on this defense. I think that's the, that is the expectation. I think that's, that's almost conservative far fetched could be saying he's the best player in America, but I think everybody's expecting him to be a leader of this defense. Yeah, definitely agree. And thanks so much for the questions. I think, you know, we've seen that 23 personnel look with the three Cowboy backs and the two running backs. Now, a couple of times we saw it with Zach Middleton earlier this season as the other running back. And then our guy, DeAndre Jackson, gets in there in this Baylor game. 
the coaches have talked about it, both Dunn and Gundy. They needed to find a way in short yarded situations to, to gain the first down or get the touchdown. You know, we saw what happened in the big 12 championship game, normally a shotgun team. Now they've got this under center look that they're practicing. Cause that's the thing. I mean, Gundy's talked about this millions of times, but you can't just be a shotgun team and out of nowhere in one situation, in one game, go under center. If you never practice under center, it's a different way to take a snap. You could fumble a snap. Now they're practicing this. I love it with Richardson and Jackson out there, both kind of bigger backs. And I, I just think, it's a great addition to this offense and I bet we continue to see it. So great call out there. And with Kendall Daniels, I think it's next year. I think he's one of the better players on this defense. I think right now he's a guy kind of splitting reps with Shawn Michael Flanagan, still having some, you know, kid, you called one out, just kind of looking around sometimes, maybe doing a little too much thinking, not enough acting. And sometimes he might be doing a little too much reacting and not enough thinking. He's going to, the light bulb's going to click on sooner rather than later. And I think by next year, he's one of the premier players on this defense and maybe in the conference. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Drew, thanks for the great question. Here's one from Aaron Smith. Uh, you know, great win over the weekend uh, was definitely one of the more impressive wins we've had in you know, the last five years, just due to the, you know, to the control of all three phases of the game. But uh, one thing that's been coming up on social media is, uh, you know, the lack of respect Oklahoma get, State gets from, you know, the national media, uh, you know, being called frauds, you know. Uh, you know, a lot of that is can be accurate and, and, and can be true due to us, you know, not winning the big games or falling short, uh, whether it's to OU or, you know, in the Big 12 championship game. But uh, the numbers don't lie. Um, and the, the run that Oklahoma State has had in the last – you know, decade is, you know, historic and, and uh, a lot of it, um, you know, overshadows a lot of the big time programs. So why do you think Oklahoma State um, gets overlooked and doesn't get the respect and the notoriety that they deserve? So I'd love to hear your perspective on that. And I uh, look forward to this week's episode. Aaron, thanks for the question. This is a common theme. I think we got asked this variation of question uh, several times this week. We'll still run through them, but I mean, it's the, it's the, golden question that I think all of us are still wondering and we may never get a good answer on. I think, I think we're Oklahoma state still little old Oklahoma state to some. And um, to me, it doesn't matter. It's great for Twitter. It's great for, you know, our engagement. It's great for this podcast. As we get to talk about it, you get to send questions in ultimately it's noise at the end of the day. And you've got guys like Tom Fernelli and Bud Elliott, not dropping names, but you got those two guys on the cover three podcast saying that they would pick Baylor again on a neutral field to beat Oklahoma state. <laughs> you can hear the tone of my voice changing. Oklahoma state's played them three times and it took seven turnovers for Baylor to win by an inch once. So I'm done listening to that argument. And if you're out there still peddling that, I'm questioning your knowledge of the game. And if you're actually watching or if you're paying attention to the end box score, you, one of the reasonings was, you know, kickoff returns aren't sustainable. Turnovers aren't sustainable. Red zone opportunities are fluctuating and you don't always score in them. What a load of crap. Because who do you ever hear, Dustin, anybody knocking Bama for doing that, for taking advantage of the game and controlling it? Literally, one of the things that that podcast knocked Oklahoma State for was sitting on a lead. Are you kidding me? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're, I agree with everything you're, said, you're saying on that. I, I think if you watched that game, you would know that Oklahoma State pretty much dominated the first half. And you can say there were one or two plays here and there, like that drop we talked about earlier in the red zone that led to Baylor not scoring. But there were things here or there that led to Oklahoma State not continuing drive. So you can do that both ways. And I, I just think that's a kind of a soft take and – Maybe means you didn't watch the entire game, which is fine. If you're a national guy, you're probably just say it though. covering a million games. But yeah, I, I definitely don't agree with that take. But also, you know, I'm I'm always gonna drink a little bit of orange Kool Aid. But but yes, I, I think you're 100 percent right on everything you said related to that. Yeah, well, and and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it. But that same podcast went down the list and said they would they they said Oklahoma State, and we got another question on this. I'm sure we'll get to this, but that they were fraudulent. And that they're not a top 10 team and they've relied on fluctuations and volatility. They opened the preseason at number nine. They've risen two spots. What are you talking about? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Let's just get on to it. All right. Here's one from uh, let's go uh, T Nasty. Hey, fellas. T Nasty here. We were there live in Waco. And uh, of course, all phases performed admirably in that glorious win um but if we're gonna nitpick um i've got a few questions uh watching it live it seemed like we went side to side quite a lot on offense and a lot of our better plays happened when we challenged them um i think we could have picked up vertically so what did you think about the strategy overall and the offensive play calling and should could we have taken a few more shots? And then secondly, it felt like we weren't really bringing pressure on defense. So um, it just felt like compared to last year, we were, we were kind of sitting back and playing more conservatively on defense. So give me your thoughts on that. You've probably already answered it in the podcast, <laughs> but thanks. Should we just do a separate like, questions episode every week because people are like uh, you're that's a second i think aaron or drew said it you probably already talked about it but we haven't always i think the side by side thing is by design like and i wouldn't even call it side by side it just isn't into the teeth of that three three five that baylor loves to play that has caused oklahoma state issues well you've got you talked about it and casey dunn talked about it and mike gundy talked about it and it's a great question, T. Nasty. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for sending these in. I'm very jealous of the people that were at the game. I know. Planning on going and some plans changed. But um, they're playing too high safety. So there's a safety deep on each side of the field, as opposed to if you're in cover three, there's a safety in the middle, and the two cornerbacks are kind of on, on islands on each of their thirds. So when you've got the safety help over the top, it's a little bit harder to air it out. And we saw that exactly on the flip side. Shapin gets baited into throwing an interception to Jason Taylor because they're in that too high look and he's able to shade to the hash and then run over because he knows Shapin's going to throw the ball there if he gives him that look and pick it off. So I, I think you're right. It's a little bit more of a taking what the defense gives you, but you do still have to take shots because that is your offense. I think maybe they could have taken a few more because they did hit on some. I think there were a couple opportunities they had where they got the looks they wanted and maybe they decided to run the ball because they had the lead. So a couple of different factors in there, but I do think it's a, I mean, it's a smart call out and 
I just think I, I, I was pretty okay with the play calling and the way they kind of scheme yeah, this game too. up. So I, I have a little bit different take on it, but I do I do think they're good call-outs and appreciate the question. Yeah, to- totally agree with you. All right, here's one from Carly Gatlin. Hey, guys. Carly Gatlin here. Um, just wanted to weigh in on some of your thoughts on the national media's take of OSU's win against Baylor. I've been seeing some things on Twitter that have not only said that they don't believe that Oklahoma State is a top 10 team. Um, I've seen that we might not even be a contender in the Big 12. Um, But furthermore, the biggest shocker, I think, is that some people are saying that they think Oklahoma State might be fraudulent. (laughs) I just can't figure out what in the world could be fraudulent about a team that gets no national media respect. We're not talking about a team that has um, done nothing, beaten no ranked teams, but that everyone thinks is going to win the national championship. Fraudulent? Question mark? (laughs) Please weigh in. I need some answers. (laughs) Carly, good to hear from you. Thanks for sending yeah, thanks that for the in. I appreciate you chiming in. I mean, fraudulent is such a disrespectful word. I mean, I'm looking at you, looking at you, Kentucky. It doesn't make any sense. Like, like Carly called out. I, I don't understand. Like, it's not like Oklahoma State's ranked first. And they like have you said they're ranked nine and they, yeah. they moved up two spots. I get, I do understand. The non-conference schedule looks horrible, even worse than it looked before the season with how those teams have performed in Central Michigan and Arizona State. But the Baylor win is a really good win. We've seen them play good teams, play them close, get a win on the road at Iowa State. If they win this Texas Tech game in dominant fashion, I don't know how you can call them fraudulent. Like Again, I said... Texas Tech's not a great team, but you're going 2-0 in the Big 12. You ran through the non-conference. You got a lot of momentum. Spencer Sanders has, like, I think, I can't I can't remember the stat exactly, but he's way farther along yards and touchdowns-wise than he has been in any of his other seasons. The defense hasn't dropped off a ton. There, I mean, there's still things to work out. The offensive line's looking better than I thought, so I just don't know... I don't know how you can really say that, but again, probably guys not watching the games, looking more at the box car. They're covering millions of games, so I get it. But I, I completely agree, Carly. I don't, I don't understand the fraudulent call out. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, my favorite comment all week was that Oklahoma State benefited from the volatility around them, and that's why they're so high in the rankings. They rose two spots. They started the season at number nine. I mean, tell me you don't pay attention without telling me you don't pay attention. All right, we're going to Jake Meyer. Hey, guys, Jake Meyer here. I would like to pose the same statement that I posed to Cameron and Cade during the Instagram Live on Saturday at halftime, and that is talk about special teams, you cowards. (laughs) I know that Dustin has a rule that you guys don't talk about special teams, (laughs) but – uh. They kind of helped win us the game on Saturday. That and Spencer's incredible fumble recovery. I think that was the most important thing he did that game. Anyways, I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether our special teams will continue their dominance and how many more games you think they will win us this year. Thank wow. You, well, if we hey. actually had a rule about it, then we wouldn't have answered both of your questions, Jake. First off, Jake, thanks for the question. Second off, 
I brought it up. Cade forgot about it. Third, I already said I think they'll win a couple more games just due to special teams. So yeah. Fourth, don't appreciate your tone, Jake. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love it. The fact that they I know this is a little thing that I keep pointing out, but the fact that they have three guys who can kick off and kick it out of the end zone and hail Brown and my guy from Deer Creek, Logan Ward, is incredible. The fact got a guy like Braylon Presley who can get down and down a punt at the one yard line. Tom Hutton, who's 70 years old can punt incredibly well. His target punting is just insane. Tanner Brown's been great field goal wise. I haven't seen anything that tells me that special teams is going to just fall off a cliff. So I think they continue to be good. And I, like I said, I think one or two more games, at least they could win. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we don't have a rule about not talking about special teams. We just ramble on long enough that I didn't know you guys really wanted to hear us talk about it. And look, so, so now the, you can sponsor that segment. The truth, Cade, I don't like kickers and punters. I'm just gonna lay it out there. I think I've said it before on the podcast. You're saying the quiet players. You're saying the quiet <laughs> part out loud, Dustin. That's the part they're, that they're, they're more football players than I am. Still, that's not saying much. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's wrap up the uh, audio questions uh, with the three and one man with the million dollar plan, and you know who that is. Here we go. Sports fans, this is your three and one man with the million dollar plan. That's right, three and one. We are back, back on track. An overwinner before the end of the third quarter. Should it be that easy? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But that's what I do with this thing called gambling. I make it easy. I make it fun. And guess what? We're not done. And for a few of the people who were chirping me at halftime saying, chirp, chirp, hey, Alex, nice overpick, or chirp, chirp, hey, Fuller, you're real dumb-dumb. No, 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 no. You're the dumb-dumb. I'm the one who has another snoozer of a winner. Snoozer. It will make you sleepy because it will be that easy. Texas Tech team total under 29 and a half. Under 29 and a half. Another gift from Vegas and the gambling gods. Texas Tech team under 29 and a half. Take it. Kid, we both we both predicted that bet to win. I have 27 and you had 17. So Fuller did, might be uh, on to something here. Did Fuller just call our listeners dum-dums? <laughs> He actually called one of our ad sponsors a dumb dumb because Andrew Cox was chirping him a bit. He was chirping him a bit this weekend, <laughs> and Fuller came out on top. I'm sure Cox will that's, love that. I, that's uh, friendly. That out. Yeah, that's friendly. Feels like 45 fire right there. Uh, we, yeah. We, we hey, we're that. all friends here. We like to chirp Fuller. It's hard not to chirp Fuller. I mean, we uh, love him, but you've heard him. 29 and a half team team total feels so high for Tech this weekend. It feels high. Yeah, I, I mean they haven't they haven't scored more than what thirty seven. That was in an overtime game. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah, because they, they won. But yeah, Murray State double overtime. State. Yeah, double overtime. Right. Yeah. So I I, I just they haven't I mean, twenty eight against K State. I guess they've been kind of around that. But I, I agree with Fuller. I think it's a. Uh, I think that's. I think that might be the play. I'm I, not gonna I do like it. it. Fuller will. Yeah, for sure. Tell us how it goes. And reminder, you can't gamble on team totals on prize picks, but you can get a hundred percent match up to your first deposit of a hundred dollars on prize picks with your promo code feels 12. So just do that. 
thank you guys so much for the audio questions. Fuller, we love yours every week. I saw Ryan Winkle. He sent in a Twitter question. He didn't get an audio one in. We won't count it against him. I think that's twice, Ryan. We're giving you a little boost there, but oh, third that's fine. time. We'll keep your streak third alive. time though. We'll keep we'll keep your streak alive. But thank you guys so much. Very jealous of everybody that was at the game. Those were awesome. So, kid, you want to run through some of these Twitter questions? We might have to do them kind of quick. Yeah, let, let's let's run through them. That would be okay. great. We got Philip O'Donnell uh, at Philip O'Donnie. 12 he says do you expect braylon presley and steven johnson to get more meaningful playing time as gundy's saying they won't red shirt personally i think presley is going to be used a lot on special teams we may see him more on the offense but gundy for gundy to call him out and say he's doing a good job on that punt cover team is kind of odd that he would just call out a true freshman like that so i think they're going to continue to use him on special teams and then Stephon Johnson, I know it was because Braden Johnson had to come out for a play, and it could have been he was the closest guy to the coach, but he did come in the game, and again, it's the Z position, so the play was probably designed to go there, but Spencer still threw the ball to him, so I think we could see Stephon Johnson maybe not getting a lot of snaps, but if there were an injury, somebody were to miss a game, I think you could see him get in the rotation pretty quickly, maybe jump over some of the other big names at the wide receiver position that are on the bench. Nope. That, that was it for me. Barring an injury, I don't expect to see a ton of rotation in, you know, in anything other than special teams. But if there is a key injury, then sure. I would expect to see them. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Ostrander at Ryan Ostrander eight says tougher day meeting Dominic Richardson in the hole 20 times going three full periods with Brock Martin on the mat are trying to man cover Braden Johnson all game. He's saying not us personally, but he wants to know what would oh, be the most difficult. It's a, I mean, I, I would come away with, you know, less fingers than I entered with. Like it would be a bad day. Yeah. I, I think, I think Brock Martin on the mat. Cause I, I mean, I don't know who he's wrestling, but I know he's a very talented wrestler. I think in just a game of football though, it's gotta be the Dominic Richardson, um, I mean, if you're trying to man cover Braden Johnson, though, you better be really fast. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's not physically brutalizing like Dom would kill me, like literally could kill <laughs> me in 20 carries in the hole. I might be dead. Yeah. And Ryan, thank you for that question. We appreciate it. Those were those are good. Uh, multiple. I haven't done there. nearly enough neck curls to hit Dom 20 <laughs> times in the hole. I stopped doing that in football. Uh, next, we got Pistol Paul at Paul Tie Two. He says, "Who do you think the toughest remaining? Who the toughest team is on the remaining schedule?" He says, "Unless a miracle happens in Norman, I think it's K State." Yeah, I think yeah, K State on the road. I, I mean, you know, there's other tough games for sure, but I think K State on the road will be tough. I mean, TCU, TCU, yep, K- Kansas and Lawrence. I'll be at that game. I. I- I actually might try to make it up to that game too. Lawrence is a sneaky good road game. Um, and by then they've probably got a couple losses. I'm just saying the wheels are coming off at some point. I'll be there with the miracle man with the plan. Hey, Alex maybe, Fuller. maybe he'll guide me to the promised land. Um, but no, <laughs> I would say right now it feels like one of K state or TCU. And I lean a little bit towards TCU just because of what they can do offensively. Um, I still think today Oklahoma State wins that game, but um, yeah, it's one of those two. 
Yeah. Uh, Weston, he has two at CW Mason 92. He says, how do you feel when we scored from the one yard line? And should there be concern with giving up 450 yards on defense? Yeah, I think we hit the one yard line on the uh, audio yeah. question. Love to see that package. I love the QB sneak. I think Spencer does it well. I think running behind Preston Wilson, he's able to get some push there. 450 yards on defense. We broke that down as well. I mean, 57 of those were at the very end of the game, but I think it's the big plays. You got to limit them. Got to limit not even just the big plays, but the six, seven, eight-yard rushes. We're talking about Benson getting washed up at times, just some kind of lapses there, missed tackles in the backfield, which could be tackle for loss. We saw that several times against Baylor. So I I think you got to limit those things. I don't think it's super concerning, but you got to clean some things up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree completely with you. Um, I think actually I have nothing else to add. Okay, Kate, I'll send this one to you. Pistol Peter at OSU Pistol Peter one says, which position room do you feel had the best day in Waco and which group do you think still has a ways to go? Best position group. I'm going to go with, you know what? I'll give the offensive line. I'll give the offensive line my my pick of the day. Um, And the second part of that question was, Dustin, remind me. Uh, Which group still has a ways to go? A ways to go. Um, I mean, I don't know if anybody has a ways to go. I mean, I, I think I think the linebacker core, those two guys, you know, there's there's plenty to be learned there. Um, looking at corners, I mean, linebackers and corners feel pretty good there, but overall, I mean, everybody was above expected on Saturday. So it's tough, tough for me to knock anybody or a perceived knock on anybody. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Logan Mun- Logan Lemunion at Logan Lemunion. He says, "Have you ever noticed Spencer's undershirt he wears? Is it torn yes on the left sleeve? Same shirt every game. Seems like superstitions." And then he says, "Do you guys have any superstitions?" So Spencer actually got asked about that in his OSU Max film study um, by Dion Amade, and it is a superstition thing. He wears that same one every game. It did get ripped, I think, in a game. So it is definitely a superstitious thing. So great call by Logan there. And for me, I think related to OSU, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I have these OSU socks with the little football helmets on them. And I I bought another pair, so it's not the same one I've had for a long time. But I wear them on game day, so I guess that's my one. I don't have a game day superstition other than I put an outfit on, and it's all about the feel. Like, are we going to win in this today, or are we going to lose in this today? Because a lot <laughs> you change I, if you I've, get the wrong feeling. I've been known to change what I had on originally because I didn't like the way it felt. About I like, like that. <laughs> And that might be crazy behavior, but I just, you know, who knows? No, I love that. Uh, Glory Cowboy at Goerg Sankar says, I feel like we still didn't run block well. Sanders escaped the pocket and weaved his magic on those QB scrambles. Our run blocking and secondary still two things that need to be improved because linebacker stepped up big. Yeah, we talked about it, I think, when we hit the offensive line. There's still areas of improvement. You want to get up to that 4.1, 4.2 yards per game. I think we try to see them impose their will against Texas Tech, who has you know a solid defense this weekend. But I think there's definitely still room for improvement there. I'm not so much on the secondary. Yeah. I know we got to limit the big plays, but as a whole, I don't think the secondary has been bad. 
this year or or down. I, I think there's definitely things that can be improved, the big plays, but I think you've seen the secondary make a lot of big plays this year as well. Yeah, I I agree completely, Dustin. I'm I'm not down on any one group right now. I'm kind of feeling pretty good about things. Yeah, and Sherlock Holmes, kind of a similar question about the line, but he says if they play like that the rest of the year, I think we're in good shape. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think if they if they can pass protect like they have been, I think. And again, you know, they haven't been facing a lot of five plus pressure, but. Still, I think they pass protected really well. So thanks for that question. I don't know if you can five plus pressure on this team. I just don't know if you yeah. can do that. So it's going to be tough. Um, he says Blake Hayes at Blake Hayes, Blake underscore Hayes 252. How many players on the current defensive line, K, do you think get drafted in the future? Get drafted. Um, four. Tyler like Lacey, that. Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, and Brock Martin. And that's probably aggressive. It's probably going to be two. But, I mean, Trace Ford feels like the one that people would, like, maybe pass on due to injury, pick him up in training camp, and then he makes the roster. But, I I mean, I think there's pros all over the field on that defensive yeah. line. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, we got Jeff. He's at Jeff underscore at underscore cetera he's basically asking he's kind of a, a two tweet question but he's basically asking do you feel like consistency at the outside receiver spot maybe holding this offense back a little bit kind of keying on the drops not being able to get separation he's asking if we agree and do you think Jaden bray coming back could help shore this up and take the offense up a notch he's saying he doesn't think it's been bad he's just wondering what we think um, I think Jaden Bray does take it up a notch, and I don't know what much there is to shore up. I mean, Baylor had more drops than Oklahoma State did. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the barometer of success, but these are young guys. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to see it out. I, again, I'm just not. I don't know. Maybe I'm not in the mood to, to nitpick. <laughs> Maybe that. I just feel really good yeah. about things. There's things no. to clean up everywhere, but it's small stuff. Yeah, Jeff, I agree, though. I mean, there's definitely some things missing that Jaden Bray, I think, adds to this offense. And when he gets back, I think you're going to see it clicking on even more cylinders than that oh, yeah, they are right sure. now. So great question. Um, next, we got C. Davis at CMA underscore CH. What moment pleased you the most in this game? What gave you the most concern? <laughs> I mean, oh. I'm, I'm going to have to say the Spencer's understand the Spencer Sanders interception gave me the most concern just because I really wanted to know that very next second, how he was going to come out oh, of form hundred <laughs> percent. right after that. So I think that's gotta be my most. And then I think what pleased me the most, man, Ika talking trash to Wilson and then Wilson knocking him back into the end. <laughs> pretty hilarious. I don't really like Ika. He's kind of uh, uh, like, he's kind of cocky and he talks a lot and he dances around. I love I mean, you know me, I love when guys get hyped up. I'm very hyped up when I'm watching games. If you sit near me in the stadium, I know I've apologized on this podcast before because I get very loud, but the way the Baylor players were reacting to some plays when they were down by a lot, I mean, yeah, 
the guy who tackled Brennan Presley on the kickoff after a 50 yard return, like got up and like flexed in his face. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what and are then, you guys doing? And then bombs away to you, sir. Yeah. I mean, the next point. Nope. Totally agree. Whack. Um, next up, we, we got our guy, uh, Barrett Fuller at be full of it. One of my buddies, Barrett, he says with the blonde bomber getting inducted into the ring of honor this weekend, is it even possible to feel more like 45 than it will when I wake up Saturday morning? Oh man. I mean, if we, if we win 45 to 19, I mean, it's, it's kind of a travesty that we haven't talked about our guy, Bob Venomore. I know that's actually a really good point. Maybe we'll go live on Instagram from Stillwater and do a, do an, a tribute Instagram live. So he's getting inducted into the ring of honor, which is really cool. And I think, you know, you and I have gotten this question. We had him as one of the next guys, if not the next guy, you just have to do it. Former number one overall draft pick his passing record, I think held until like Gundy or something like that, or total yards record or something like that. But uh, there's a really cool interview with him from 2000 that OSU Max just posted. And you go check it out. Some really interesting stuff. He said, Coach Iba uh, was upset because he actually wanted to coach the football team. He oh, really wanted them to pass wow. more. Uh, he also said that uh, Lookaball, Coach Lookaball, didn't believe in drinking water. So none of the, not because like a toughness thing, he just didn't think you should do it. Like it wasn't good for you. <laughs> so, no, no water out there. And uh, Finnamore was saying he's 75 in that interview. He's, or however old he was in that interview, but he's like, I still don't water because of that so i thought that was really that's kind of my but, approach on saturdays even though maybe <laughs> i should be drinking a couple of words <laughs> a really cool interview though you got to check it out okay we've just got two more so we've got brock shahan at cpa poke he says watching and re-watching the baylor game i saw a level of physicality on both sides of the ball i don't yep. think i've seen from an osu team in gundy's tenure do you think that is more of a result of recruiting or a result of recruiting more athletic players and body by glass, do you think that's causing it? And then he says, or could it have to do with coach's strategy of rotating more players in and out each game than we have in the past? If the latter, do you think that it's sustainable for the remainder of the season and going forward? He says, love the pod. Thanks, Brock. Really appreciate that. And that's a really good question. I think it's a little bit of A and a little bit of B. Yeah, I mean... But body by glass, you hear the guys. Brock Martin even said it when they talked about the defense late in the game in his post-game interview. He brought up Coach Glass, so it's definitely that part of the it's, answer. If if you're gonna beat Baylor, you have to be the more physical team, and that is a tough thing to be against them. They are very rarely the least the less physical team on the field. So yeah, I I agree with all that. I think it's Rob Glass. I think it's Mike Gundy's culture. Um, and I think it's the guys buying in because it takes that last piece. That's probably the most important um, to actually be a physical football team. So, yeah. And I, I do think there is a question about the sustainability of rotating guys in if guys start to get injured, because you're not going to go too far down the depth chart. You know, you're going to keep, you know, if the one gets hurt and the two had been rotating in with him, but the three hadn't got to play at all, maybe the three gets some snaps, but you'll probably lean on the two. So I, I do think that's a good call out as well. Um, and then our last one is our guy, Ryan Winkle at Ryan Winkle seven. He's saying, sorry, he forgot <laughs> too late now. Uh, but he says, hopefully this Twitter question gets to you in time with Dom playing as well as he did. And Ollie fumbling. How do you see the running back carry percentages going the rest of the season? I think it's going to stay how it is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's Dom 
and you mix in Ollie as the two and then throw in some Jaden Nixon and DeAndre Jackson at times. But I think it's going to be heavy Dom until something happens to change that. Yeah, status quo, I, I think right now. I mean, Dom had 24 carries. Ollie had a, a handful. I think that's what it is. It's what it feels like to me, at least. And then Spencer, you know, he's another running back out there that's taking carries away from potential running backs. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think they you have to factor that in. Um, it just right now doesn't make a ton of sense to be rotating in a Nixon and a CJ Brown and others, you know, when you've got what you've got out there. So yeah, I can Ryan, thanks agree. for the question and your snap streak lives on, but strike three and whew, we're going to have an issue. <laughs> You're Dustin, out what an episode. I mean, coming off of a monumental win in Waco, uh, you know, can't get caught sleeping this week though. Texas Tech's a good enough football team. They can beat you if you're not ready to go. I think Oklahoma state will be, um, and it should be a great one. It's 72 degrees, uh, I think, a north breeze. So it should be a beautiful day for football mid-October in Stillwater. Dustin, you got anything else before we wrap this one up? I'm good. Thanks, everybody, for the questions. Really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you guys. As always, thank, thank you for making that part of the podcast what it is. We couldn't do it without you, literally. We could ask ourselves questions all day, but yours are much better. So <laughs> if you're not already, follow us on Twitter at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at dust dragoon. You can follow me at Cade web and you can follow us on Instagram now as well. Uh, we are trying to go live as much as possible. I think it's going to be hard on home games. Dustin and I are both there, uh, but you may be able to catch us during an away game. But if you see us in Stillwater on Saturday, say what's up. And uh, if not, we will talk to you guys next week after hopefully another great win in Stillwater. We'll see you then go folks.